in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. This is Mitch Moe. And this is Dallin. Guys, welcome back in. It is a, another beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Mitch, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm fantastic. It's spring, baby. It's spring. Get the shades on. Sun's out. Gun's out. Winter's over. It's spring. It's time for baseball. It's time for preseason NFL stuff. There's a lot going on in the world of sports. The weather's beautiful. It's like 80 degrees outside today. It is a great spring day here in late March. And just to top it off, I get to talk sports with my wonderful best friend, Mr. Dallin. So I'm, I'm doing fantastic. How are, how are you? That, I mean, that sounds wonderful. I'm glad that it's so beautiful and spring-like over there in California because it snowed two days ago in Utah. Ah, uh, and it, you know, it's it's, not, it's nicer today, maybe mid to high 50s. We're going to get, you know, into like high 60s by the weekend, which will be nice. But it that is March in Utah. You get like a, a week of very nice spring weather and then a cruel reminder that winter still exists for like a couple days. Then it goes back to nice. It just sort of teases you until April. But uh, so we're not quite out of it yet, but it sounds like beautiful time out there. And it is a beautiful day here. And it's always a beautiful day when we get to do the podcast, Mitch. And we have a lot in store today, as always, uh, with NFL free agency, just not slowing down in the slightest, like we're, we're two weeks into it. And it seems like we have even more to talk about than we did last week. And uh, so we will be getting into uh, some of the bigger free agent deals, more movement in the QB carousel around the NFL as we saw a number of big trades in the last week that we will discuss as well, Mitch, uh, big free agent deals in the MLB that will get into the news NBA storylines. You have a top five. It's March madness. The peacocks of St. Peter's are in the sweet 16. I mean, come on. Is it get better than this? Does it get better than this, Mitch? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, the whole world should have seen Doug coming. Um, Doug, Doug, Doug happened. He was going to happen for St. Peter's. And <laughs> I guess we'll get into that. But Dallin, we got a little bit of news to get into first, right? Yes, yeah, we do. All right, so let's get into the news and notes around the world of sports. Let's get into the news. Woo! You got me there. You got you got me there, and I'm sure I I speak for all the listeners. Uh, you got us. I thought you were. I, I was like, what is going on? You came out all energetic. You have the freaking shades on while we're recording this. I can see it over Zoom. Like you seem hyped. 
And then yeah, you just it, went in all passive. I, I, well done. Well, you're like I, you're you're like the M Night Shyamalan of this podcast business out here. The twists and turns all along. It was a ghost, Mitch. You were it's crazy. Kind of a douchey move to have the pit vibes on during a recording, but you know what? They're hate blockers because I'm gonna say some things today. I just feel it. I'm gonna make some hot takes. Oh. I'm gonna make some hot takes, and so I need to have the hate blockers on just in case. So okay, all right. You're about to consume some spicy food, so you've got a glass of milk on standby to you know to quell the pain if need be. You're ready. You're prepared. Oh, yeah, I, I prefer to wash it down with an ice cold uh, Sierra Nevada. But uh, a, a dairy product would be nice. As yeah, well they just, you know, m- milk helps the spice. Milk does it better. Yes, milk is yeah. undefeated. It's much it more efficient. Yeah. Uh, bitch, let's start the news off with uh, some news around Major League Baseball. As I teased uh, just a minute or so ago, uh, we're gearing up spring, spring training going on games going on. You love to see it. Uh, baseball is back. And uh, there were a number of big deals that happened over the last week that we wanted to discuss here. So, Mitch, let's um, where do you where do you want to start? I'll let you start. Which deal do you want to start with? Uh, you know what? Let's start in the middle infield. We got two middle infield uh, acquisitions that are big here. Trevor Story leaving the Colorado Rockies, signing with the Boston Red Sox for a six year, one hundred and forty million dollar deal. Confusing to me, not confusing on the side of the Boston Red Sox. I mean, who wouldn't want a Trevor Story in that lineup? Uh, a great defensive uh, piece as well. I believe a former gold glover, um, a very reliable uh, star to add to that Boston lineup. Confusing that Colorado didn't retain him, especially after they made another deal that we'll talk about here in just a minute. Um but I, I'm confused as why Trevor Story or why Colorado didn't make a bigger effort to re- retain Trevor Story. It seems like that was uh, maybe the one corner piece they needed to do and build, you know needed to keep and build around, and it just didn't happen. Now he's in Boston, and um, I mean, this is a guy that's based off his hitting tendencies is going to play very well. Short porch and left. Got the green monster, but the guy hits towering shots. He just did it in Colorado for for the last few years. So good signing by Colorado, confusing Boston, or that Colorado, they're great signing by Boston, excuse me, confusing that Colorado didn't make more of an effort to retain him. Yeah, Mitch, and I, I think for the Red Sox too, and they've said, you know, this is uh, the idea of pairing story with Xander Bogarts uh, is very appealing uh, and, and they feel comfortable with story at second base. Uh, so this will be that infield duo there for the Red Sox. And I do think it's a great move. Uh, I'm there. I'm with you there. Uh, as far as the Rockies go, you know, it is interesting because they did uh, subsequently sign Chris Bryant uh, over who was with the uh, the San Francisco Giants. And obviously had won the World Series with the Cubs uh, in 2015 or 2016, excuse me. Uh, but they signed Chris Bryant to a seven year, $182 million deal. So more money per year and a longer deal than Trevor story got. And, and it does beg the question of like, is that the better option? Would you, would it have been better to retain the homegrown talent or bring in somebody else like Chris Bryant? Now, uh, you know, I, I don't know if Trevor story wanted to stay in Colorado or not. Maybe he wanted to move on. And so maybe that wasn't an option, but it certainly is curious. Uh, I, I found this, also interesting, Mitch, from the Chris Bryant perspective, because 
it's not like the Rockies have ever shown consistency to, uh, you know, win, right? Just, for, I mean, frankly, make the postseason consistently. They've not shown that. I mean, they've had, uh, you know, a World Series run. They've had years where they've been competitive, but uh, certainly not one of the top franchises uh, out there uh, across the major leagues. And and you would have assumed that the Giants would have had interest in bringing him back. And clearly San Francisco is one of those franchises, right? That's shown that level of success. And, uh, you know, among other suitors, perhaps the market wasn't as robust. Uh, maybe the Rockies were willing to pay him way more than anybody else, but certainly an interesting move for Bryant to choose uh, Colorado in this instance. Yeah. I, I mean, whereas Colorado retaining Trevor's story was a huge uh, head scratcher for me. Chris Bryant choosing Colorado was another big head scratcher for me. I was almost positive he was going to return to San Francisco. That seemed like a great fit. Um, maybe not the production that you would have liked, but hey, he was traded midseason. He had to adjust to a new city, a new culture, a new ballpark. Um, so you weren't going to expect brilliance out of him right out of the gate, but um, that seemed to be a really good fit for San Francisco. So I, it is a little bit of a head scratcher that he chooses Colorado. You mentioned the one world series run, the lack of um, consistency to remain competitive in the national league. Um, to me, this seems like a, a, not even a lateral move, but a backward step for Chris Bryant. I mean, he's going to go play in a higher elevation and he might hit 40 home runs a year now. And that's great, but he's not going to be in a winning situation because Colorado uh, is not the situation to pay players that are going to come and want to play around him and give him a winning opportunity. So odd to sign the long-term deal. If it was Colorado for two or three years, then sure, whatever. But the seven-year deal makes me scratch my head just a little bit. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Mitch, you mentioned another middle infielder as one of these free agent deals, and and that is Carlos Correa, uh, a free agent from the Houston Astros who signed with the Minnesota Twins on a three-year $105 million deal. Uh, that's, that's a big blow for Houston and, and Correa had been a part of that core with Altuve and, and others, obviously uh, with the Astros that have made a number of runs, a number of world series, uh, but he goes to the AL central and, and we were sort of discussing this in show prep, but uh, you know, it very much feels like, I mean, there's some strong teams here, uh, notably the white Sox, right. With a very young core that seems to be growing and they won the division last year, but uh, you know, I, I think if for Correa, you know, you look at this twins team and, and, you know, a couple moves and you could probably compete here for the division win. Uh, I think this is a good situation. And I like uh, this for the competitive balance of that division. Yeah. I mean, I think in years past, um, we knew that there was going to be a winner out of the AL central that made it to the playoffs. And it was kind of like a, we'll write them off because the ALCS is going to be an AL West team and an AL East team. Um, that's not the case anymore. This is a big bat for, for Minnesota to add to a young lineup. Uh, we saw the beginning of the emergence of that young Chicago White Sox core. Um, this makes the AL Central very, very interesting. I think that this is going to be one of the tougher divisions to win just be because everything seems so balanced um, in that division. Obviously, the Royals aren't up to par with, with the rest of that division, but when you look at the Twins and the and the White Sox, we could be looking at a at a very serious uh, pennant race uh, coming down, uh, you know, August September 
uh, when we start to narrow down these ALCS teams. I love the signing for Minnesota. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun, as you said, uh, and, and good competition for that uh, division for sure. Mitch, the final move, which, I mean, we should have led with this, in my opinion, but it's fine that it's, uh, you know, kind of wraps up the uh, MLB news here. And that's Freddie Freeman. We talked about him last week uh, as the Atlanta Braves made the move for Matt Olson. Uh, Freeman headed to a new destination and that destination is LA with the Los Angeles Dodgers. No surprise here. As we sort of mentioned on the podcast last week, but a six year, $162 million deal for Freddie Freeman, uh, who will play first base for the Dodgers, uh, which means Muncie will move likely over to second base. Uh, we were talking about a, an infield Mitch, uh, Freddie Freeman, Max Muncie, uh, Trey Turner, Justin Turner, uh, and then and that doesn't even include the outfield of Bellinger and just like all the names they have out there. They're li- the Dodgers lineup is just absurd at this point. Uh, and obviously as a Dodgers fan, I'm extremely stoked about this. So, yeah, I mean, best team money can buy, I guess, yes. you know, you know, you know, the must, Dodgers must have- be great being in a, a big market team, Dallin, you know, must listen, be great. I- I texted you this. Uh, I've texted a lot of people this who have commented to me about this deal. And it is very true. The Dodgers have a motto and we've known it for years. If you can't beat them, pay them enough to play on your team. That's just the Dodger you're, way. You are, right? you are, if no, you cannot you are New beat, York Yan- you're, if you're you, Yankees West, if you, you cannot beat Mookie Betts in the world series, you trade for him and pay him $300 million. If you can't beat Freddie Freeman and the Braves on their way to a world series, you go pay Freddie Freeman in the, I mean, it's just, it is the Dodger way. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's worked. It's worked. See, and they'll be up there again. It's just did it. It was just no surprise, right? It just kind of seemed inevitable that this was going to be, you know, see, but this, this wasn't, is. this wasn't the Dodger way, maybe 12 years ago. Now they have become New York Yankees West is what they are. And they're just going to pay fat contracts to yep. whoever the hell is going to get them W's. And um, I mean, if, if you want to look at it from a baseball standpoint and not be sour, like I, I, I am going to be as an ace fan sure. um, from a baseball standpoint, it's brilliant because now you get a guy on the other side of 30 that you don't have to play every day at first base because you have a universal DH you can DH him and you're probably going to get a lot more years out of him If you don't take the toll out of his body by playing him at first base, yep. you have a younger guy in max Muncie. You can do that with, and even if you want to give Muncie a day off, you can plug Freeman in at first base. So it gives yep. them that great flexibility. Uh, they're the rich kids that everyone hates and uh, a, a good signing. I'm not going to hate, I'm yep. not going to hate on him for that. It's a great signing, but look, you're becoming the Yankees and everyone's going to be a little bit sour about that. It, it, listen, to- it, it's just the, it's the position that the Dodgers are going to be in. And it's the, it's the, it's the way that the power structure in baseball is. And it is unfortunate as a Dodgers fan. I hate seeing the disparity in this. I really do. Like it really just frustrates me as a baseball fan when teams like the Oakland A's and the Baltimore Orioles and these small and the Milwaukee Brewers can never sustain the success. And you have a few teams at the top that can always afford to be there. Uh, and there is something wrong with that. Now, that being said, uh, this is the way that it is. And I am very happy for my Dodgers that I, that were in that position, but you know, it sucks and I wish it was different, but uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't know. break any rules. I'm just going to hate right. on them. For yeah. it, so, no. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm very happy because uh, Clayton Kershaw is also coming back. Uh, he is resigning with the Dodgers, which seemed like uh, definitely could have 
moved on there. Uh, but glad, glad to have him back. I'll, I'll take him back as long as he wants to be a Dodger. You know, I, that's, that's how I feel about Kershaw there. So uh, Mitch, that's it for the MLB news. Let's hit on a couple NBA storylines and let's start with LeBron James. LeBron James, LeBron James. <laughs> shout, shout out Vine. You got to love it. You got to love it. Um, Mitch, LeBron, <laughs> what? Nothing. What? I was just laughing. I was just laughing at it. You know the Vine, though. You know what I'm talking about? No, I know. I know. Okay. I know. Right. But well, you kind of, well, I I, I, one, I, I can't was... see your eyes because you're still wearing these sunglasses. So I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't sense your reaction, whether there was a familiarity, a joy. No, they're, they're um, staying on. They're staying on. They're yeah. Staying. Okay, that's fine. Um, Mitch, I got LeBron. weird eyes. I got weird eyes. I think that's you got why weird is. eyes. You think? I th- I think I do. What are I they like? Wonky? They don't look straight. Like what? It's... Ah, they're small for my face. I they're just, small. Uh, you think you have small eyes? I think I have small eyes. Huh? I have, I have small eye syndrome. I think is what I have. Wow, guys, uh, leave us a voice message on Anchor if you think Mitch has small eyes. Uh, <laughs> Mitch. <laughs> Uh, that's going to be the one time we actually get messages. Uh, I know we're going to get like 20 of them and be like, fuck Uh, your small eyes. (laughs) Uh, LeBron has passed Carl Malone for a second all time, uh, on the NBA scoring list. He is now only trailing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for points scored. Uh, and, uh, this is one, no surprise. I mean, LeBron has just been on this pace and it just seemed inevitable. And he, he will pass Kareem. I mean, he passed, um, Passed Carl on March 19th, so uh, a few days ago, against the Washington Wizards. And this is where he stands. This, this is where LeBron stands. He is 1,402 points back of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the all-time scoring list. His, his career points per game is 27.1 points per game, which means that if he had his career average uh, every game until he be, passes Kareem, it would take... 52 games to pass Kareem. The Lakers only have 10 games left in their season now. So obviously uh, he's not going to break it this year, but certainly next year, if he plays, uh, you know, half the season, he's going to pass Kareem. And uh, like I said, this isn't a surprise. We've known LeBron has been at this pace. It's still just remarkable, I guess, to see it happen. Uh, and, And such a big record that it stood for so long. Uh, to to realize that it's it, it's going to be someone new up there is pretty remarkable. Yeah, this is what I feel like the Barry Bonds home run home run record would have been had he not done steroids. Mm. Like it's it's it, it's a huge milestone, right? A huge mark that you want to hit. You're the all time NBA's leading scorer. It's like the all time home run leader. I mean, it, it's one of those deals, and maybe that's a step below the all time home run leader, but it's it's similar. And that, you know, you're seeing a guy who's achieving, who's already achieved greatness, but like he is getting to that next level of uh, not just legend, but mythical. Yeah. And there, there are a few players in NBA history that achieve that mark. Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, those guys that have uh, reached certain levels, they've, they're mythical. And LeBron seems to be achieving that or reaching for that right now. Um, by closing in on Kareem's all-time points mark. So, yeah, it's, it is it is a lot of fun to watch. And, um, you know, I a conversation for another day doesn't put him in the GOAT, co- or, you know, doesn't make him the GOAT, but it's definitely um, 
definitely something to watch a, a spectacle to behold for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I think, um, you know, a couple just little nuggets with this uh, before we get to our next storyline. Uh, he will likely pass this LeBron will in his 20th season. Uh, that is how many seasons Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played. So interesting that in that same amount of time, uh, right, that they it's not like Kareem played significantly less or significantly more about the same, uh, you know, same amount of years, probably about the same amount of games there. Uh, and LeBron is already the, all-time leader in most career points with the regular season and playoffs combined. He passed Kareem earlier this season in that regard, uh, over 44,600 total points scored for LeBron, uh, including the playoffs. So, I mean, he's going to see himself at the top of all of those lists. And uh, you mentioned the GOAT conversation. Obviously, there's... His career has to end before anyone can legitimately argue his GOAT status, in my opinion. But this certainly gives him uh, an accolade to hang on that nobody else will have until it gets beaten, right? And that, uh, you know, will help him in that regard. And uh, I think his longevity, too, playing at a high level for a number of years will uh, also help that. All right, Mitch, the other NBA storyline here, um, speaking of, best players lebron's won a couple of these mvp uh we're kind of we're getting into the the final little stretch here of the season as mentioned in the in, you know the previous point uh lakers only have 10 games left most teams 10 to 12 games left on the season so we're really coming down uh to the wire and so we wanted to do a little update on i guess the mvp race where it stands right now and and uh our thoughts on how we think it should shake out uh, Mitch, the the top three right now in the MVP race, and it, it has been like this since I would say probably post All-Star break. It's been uh, pretty surely these three guys at the top, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And those three, I think, all up until this point have a legitimate case to be the MVP. So we'll be curious to see maybe how this last 10 games affects that or, uh, you know, depending on the way the standings shake out, if that influences this one way or the other. But those three guys are up there at the top of the MVP. Let me give you a little breakdown of their stats real quick. And then I want to ask you, Mitch, who you think uh, should be the favorite. But uh, let's start with Joel Embiid, who I would say right now is probably the betting favorite. I, I don't know the betting favorite, but my guess is he'd probably be the favorite. Joel Embiid, 29.8 points per game, second in the league uh, behind LeBron James. Uh, 11.3 rebounds, four assists. He's averaging a steal and 1.4 blocks a game. And obviously, uh, Philadelphia, uh, second seed in the East, two and a half games back of Miami. So right up there uh, at the top of the East. Then you have uh, Giannis, who's also averaging 29.8 points per game, uh, 11.5 rebounds, 5.8 assists, uh, same steals and blocks as Joel Embiid. In fact, uh, and Milwaukee also up there in the East. They are the three seed, uh, same record as the Sixers. And then you have Nikola Jokic, the reigning MVP from last year, who's averaging 26.1 points per game, 13.6 rebounds, eight assists, uh, doing just, you know, everything. He's second in rebounds in the NBA. He's seventh in assists uh, at, to go along with those 26 points per game, which is ninth. So uh, Jokic just having another incredible season. So that's kind of where the top three stand. Uh, now, Denver, 
not at the top of the Western Conference right now. They are the sixth seed, uh, but they're only half a game up of Minnesota. In fact, the other night after a Minnesota win, they had swapped uh, and Denver was slated to be the seven and have to be in the play-in tournament, which I do think if that were to end up happening, it'd be hard to give Jokic the MVP considering where the other two teams are at. But Mitch, as of right now, with about 10 games left, 10 to 12 games left per team, who do you think should be the favorite for MVP or who should win it? Well, you mentioned the betting odds because you, you're like, I don't know who the betting odds yeah. are. Right now, Joel Embiid is the odds-on favorite yeah. at minus 160. Nikola Jokic at plus 135. Then Giannis at plus 800. Um, plus 800. Other- wow. So, so really, there, so there's betting a fall odds is, is pretty like just kind of a two-man race, not really the three-headed monster as I would think. Well, but consider the consider the fall off here. John Morant, who has the fourth best odds, is plus two thousand. Right. Then right. Demar, at, then you know, then Demar and Luca at plus three thousand, and Booker at plus eight thousand. Steph falls into the ten thousand right. range. So, like, you know, you could say it's a two man race, but really, it's like a two man race with a long shot third, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Um, Look, I think Jokic has played absolutely out of his mind, um, has kept this Denver team uh, well in the conversation uh, as far as playoff teams go. He has kept himself in the MVP conversation, but I think Giannis has got to be the guy you give it to. Giannis! 29. Go with Giannis! 29 point, or you know, it, and you know what? It's a two horse race. Like, no, li- li- I'm listen, about- Mitch, Mitch, so, like, Mitch, I am right there with you. So I'm like, just surprised we both have Giannis as the favorite. I would like, I mean, I would like Joel to win it, but I think Giannis has done more for that team to keep them in the race here with the 29.8 points a game, 11 and a half uh, rebounds. Um, he's been a more integral part of that offense and that defense. Um, as great as a year as Joel has had, I really like Giannis to, to be the MVP here. I think he's the most deserving player out of really those top three in the race. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm, I just, I'm surprised, especially after reading the odds that had Giannis at such a distance, but I mean, him and Embiid have the same points per game, but Giannis is doing it uh, on less shots and he's shooting more efficiently. He has more mm-hmm. rebounds. He has, uh, he's averaging one and a half more assists per game. And I just think that there is a fatigue with Giannis because he's won a couple MVPs. He's won an NBA finals now just this past season. And so I think that everybody gets excited to give it to somebody new. Right. And for a while it was Giannis. Giannis benefited from that effect, right. Earning MVPs against other guys that had legitimate cases to win it as well. But I think we might be overthinking this just a little bit. And I am not like, I, I think any of these three guys win MVP cool with me. I think they're all well-deserving. Jokic is just a, a unique player on another level. And that Denver team has had no Jamal Murray. They've had a lot. They've had no Michael Porter for long stretches of this season. Uh, I mean, the guys that they're playing around him, like the fact that they're as good as they are just speaks to how good Jokic is, right? And, and Joel Embiid and the Sixers having a great season. And Joel has been in this MVP conversation before. And would be deserving of one, no doubt, but I am with you. I think we're overthinking this just a bit. I think there's voter fatigue with Giannis because of the recent success and people will lean towards Embiid because you don't want to vote back to back MVP 
MVPs for Jokic. And you don't want to give the guy who just won the NBA finals a, his third MVP. So you give it to Embiid, which, you know, at this point, very likely to happen. Uh, as I said, both those teams in Milwaukee and Philly at the top of the East. But... Which is dumb. I mean, which is dumb in my opinion. Just give it to the best player. Of course. Just give it to the best player. If if Giannis wins it seven years in a row and he's the best player seven years in a row, give it to him. Don't do it just for the sake of having someone new right. there. Well, and that's always been the interesting conversation around MVP. And you look at a guy like a LeBron James who could arguably have won a couple more MVPs, right? I mean, you look at like a Tom Brady could have certainly won a couple more MVPs if we weren't just so sick and tired of those guys being at the top of the league all the time. And speaking of LeBron, I wanted to bring him up here in, in this. And I know that you read the MVP odds and there was a name that was not there. And that was LeBron James. Oh, and I have it. I have it. What are his odds? Plus 30,000. Okay. So he so. is way outside the top 10, right? As far as that goes. Uh, and the Lakers. Barely in the top 15. Barely, barely in the top 15. The Lakers right now are a nine seed. They're 31 and 41 on the season. Like they're a solid play in tournament team. Uh, having to win two games just to even make the playoffs. So this is certainly not the best season for them. But LeBron James, at this point in his career, I mean, what he is doing is just remarkable. He's, I mean, he's averaging 30 points a game, which leads the league. He's doing that, shooting 52% from the field, 8.2 assists, 6.3, or 8.2 rebounds, 6.3 assists, one steal, one block a game. He's shooting 35% from three. I mean, he is doing everything. And if you look at this run post all-star break, I mean, the only times that the Lakers have won is when LeBron scored like at least 35 points. And if we're making a case for the most valuable player, a guy who elevates the play around him so much that makes him that most valuable player, the same way that I argued Nikola Jokic has done for Denver, in a lot of ways, LeBron has done that for L.A., and they still suck. Like, imagine if LeBron wasn't on that team. That would be one of the worst teams in the NBA. So I, I don't think he deserves to win it. I don't think he deserves to be top three. But I think, again, with the voter fatigue and the attrition of voting LeBron as an MVP so many times, I think we're just kind of overlooking the fact that LeBron James at 37 years old is putting up these kind of numbers and still just dominating. No, I think that's a valid point. I mean, we, we talk about guys all the time that, you know, Super Bowl MVPs that didn't win, didn't win Super Bowl MVPs because their team didn't win the Super Bowl. Or we talk about, you know, NBA players that had fantastic seasons and their team didn't make the playoffs, or maybe they're an eight seed and didn't get that, you know, didn't make it, didn't make a run. Um, this is the exact situation that LeBron is in right now. He's having a fantastic year for a 37 year old. Um, but he's not going to be a part of that conversation because winning matters. And if you're willing your team to win, then, and you're putting up those numbers, then you're in that conversation for MVP. And like I said, a couple weeks ago, and LeBron James doesn't have that capability where he can put up the great numbers all he wants. He doesn't have that ability anymore to will a team to the playoffs like he used to be able to what is that uh, what does that mean I guess I have a question about that like what is LeBron doing differently now than he did 10 years ago that doesn't will teammates to play better right because like I guess well, like if he's putting up the numbers that he was when he was 28 years old 
Let's look then at, like, let, is well, it just well, as simple as the guys around him not perform? Like, at what point does LeBron, like, does the responsibility come off him and come on the players around him, right? And well, I mean, let's, I mean, let's him. just look at it situationally. I mean, when he was in his prime, in uh, the beginning of his prime, the late aughts, sure, right, with those with those Cleveland Cavaliers teams, that minus LeBron had no business being in anywhere in the conversation of NBA playoffs. He willed those teams to get into the playoffs. He made those players around him better. Um, he is still putting up the numbers at 37, but those things aren't happening anymore in an LA. Not that he, it, so it's but I like, guess what that's my question is like, what is, what is the difference? What is happening? I, I could, what's not happening now that you say was happening in those days, because I think they're very different situations, right? You're playing with the young LeBron James. You're this shitty franchise that's never accomplished anything in Cleveland. That's just fighting for respect, right? I mean, that's a lot different than playing with a a, a, a guy in his 19th season who is arguably one of the greatest players of all time, could have the argument as the greatest player of all time, you know, on a team that is supposed to be winning championships now, right? Those expectations are different. The situations are different. And I think that has a lot more to do with it than just the fact that like LeBron isn't like inspiring guys enough to be better. Despite the fact that he's putting up 50 points a game to will them to victories over shitty teams. No, it's not the inspiration. It's what he does with the players around him. He did a lot more in his younger years with the players around him. He, he, he passed the ball a hell of a lot better. He was, he was a, he was the the biggest key to a team build of like when he was in his young prime with those Cavaliers seems he was way bigger of a team build than he is with the Lakers. Now. Um, I just think that, you know, he did certain things in his younger years that he's not doing in his older years. Now it's just it. And I could be wrong. I mean, there, there you know, maybe it's uh maybe it really is that he just doesn't have enough around him, but at 37 compared to 24, when he was, you know, or 23, 22 years old when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers and he was taking a team that had no business being in the playoff conversation and taking him to the playoffs, taking him to Eastern Conference Finals and NBA Finals appearance uh, before his return to Cleveland. Um, you, you know, I think he just did, he did a lot more as far as making the players around him better than he's doing right now in LA. And I think that's indicative um maybe of the culture that he brings and maybe of the maybe of just the skill set that he's able to bring at 37. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, I don't know. I just I guess I I I I guess I don't understand that because again, like statistically we like Le- LeBron is just as good. I mean, he is better now than he was in those days. I don't think that's a question, right? Like he is a better like he might not have the physical ability that he did then but like we're not talking, we're talking about LeBron James he is still way physically capable and he's a smarter player and a more experienced player which inevitably makes him better I wonder at what point when you are a superstar player do we have to take some of the blame off of that player right like because in this case it just seems like the difference between the Cleveland teams and this Lakers team is LeBron James but that just I just I can't like I just can't get on board with that when like the options to pass the ball to are West brick. Who's literally breaking threes at the end of games. Like he did earlier this week off the side of the backboard, right? Like, and we're talking about him not 
setting up and, guys or not getting the ball to players. But like at a certain point, what like when does the blame go on the guys around him not playing at a high level? Because you could argue that that championship team from just a few years ago in L.A. was not marginally like significantly better than this Lakers team right now, right? It had a healthy Anthony Davis. So that plays a huge part, but the role players on that team weren't significant upgrades around it. Right. But they played at a high level when they needed to right? those guys like Rajon Rondo and Dwight Howard and Alex Caruso. Those guys were stepping up in a big way when it needed to be happening. And LeBron was always LeBron before it, during it and after it. So well, and I and I, I think I think that goes back to my argument of, of a couple of weeks ago with like, you know, when LeBron's on a team, you try to fit the needs that LeBron has. You try to build the team around LeBron. Hey, LeBron, what do you need? What do we need to get done here? And he's kind of played a, a minor GM role for a lot of his career and getting the players that he needs around him. He's not a very good GM and he struck gold a few times. But like with this recent Lakers run, it just hasn't happened. And you're, you're right with the Russell Westbrook thing, you know, it, to have two ball dominant guys like that. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't pay off. We saw it with Russ and Harden in Houston just a couple of years ago, having two ball dominant guys doesn't work out. You have to have a ball dominant guy and a guy willing to distribute the ball. Um, and maybe that's part of the problem, but I don't have, I don't have the clear answer. I, I really don't, but that just seems to be some things that really, uh, you know, they, they point in certain directions for me. Yeah, it is interesting. I am curious to watch the Lakers in the play-in tournament because they will be in the play-in. Uh, and again, they will likely be a 9 or 10, so they'll have to win two games uh, just to have a shot at the playoffs. And I'm curious, like, how well they'll play, right? They were in the play-in last year, and they won. So they you know, were able to get through and, and got smoked by the Suns in the first round. But I'm curious, like, after this long season, after a losing season, like, how is that team going to perform in the playoffs in that postseason environment? Are they going to even give a shit, right? Or is New Orleans or Minnesota, these young teams that just want to shot at it, uh, you know, going to actually, uh, you know, take advantage? So it will be interesting to see how they uh, close their season out again, just 10 games, uh, about, about 10 games remaining for most teams. Uh, in the NBA. Mitch, uh, we got to get a little update on NASCAR, right? Uh, the series was in Atlanta this last weekend, and uh, we got the new 24 getting the dub at Atlanta. We, you love to see it. You love to see the 24 back in victory lane. William Byron, driver number 24, Hendrick Motorsports, um, getting the W here at Atlanta, uh, Ross Chastain, his third consecutive top three finish for track house racing, uh, his owner, Mr. 305 Pitbull, um, bringing home another solid finish for track house racing, um, as well as his, his teammate, Daniel Suarez in the number 99, getting another top five finish in fourth, um, Kurt Busch third, Corey LaJoy, um, Rounding out the top five, a, a very surprise finish for the number seven of Corey LaJoy, a guy that's uh, kind of on a lower budget team, uh, making his appearance into the top five. Um, again, great racing. And something unique that happened this week at Atlanta, Atlanta, a mile and a half track, a track that seems to uh, you have the leaders check out early. Um, you know, get that dominant run, a long green flag, or grunt, long green flag runs. Um, make sure to edit that out. Um, <laughs> uh, long green flag runs, 
that involved pack racing, which is extremely uncommon for mile and a half racetracks. Um, usually it's very spread out. Pack racing is something you see at Daytona and Talladega where the draft is very indult, involved. Um, we saw that at Atlanta, a mile and a half quad oval. Um, and it was exciting. It was fun. Um, it was very F1 uh, Andy car like we're starting to see kind of those similarities with this car, which is kind of fun. You get the bulkiness and the clunkiness of a stock car, but with uh, the racing style of more F1, which is, which is really cool to see. Um, William Byron though, you know, me being a Jeff Gordon fan growing up, I love to see that 24 car in victory lane. So uh, seeing the 24 car back in victory lane with William Byron, I am now a Kyle Larson fan. I have to pick a new guy. Been a sure. Kyle Larson. I've been a Larson fan before Gordon retired because I, I saw him in my hometown of Chico uh, doing sprint car racing at Silver Dollar Speedway. So, been a Larson fan for a long time. But to see a teammate of his and that twenty four car get in the victory lane, huge, uh, huge thing uh, here at Atlanta. Uh, a couple notes really quick about the the car, uh, the next gen car that I saw. Low downforce equals lower stability. That was apparent in the Noah Gragson crash and the Ross Chastain crash. Uh, he wrecked early, clawed his way back to second. Um, and we've seen this car become very touchy in, in the aerodynamics. Uh, little little mistakes. They have a rack and pinion steering, uh, which makes it really hard to correct back to the right. We saw uh, no, most notably Noah Gragson hit the ball ex- exceptionally hard uh, head on after losing it in the corners and having to correct back to the right. So, um, but all in all, the racing has stayed fantastic in NASCAR, and uh, it, I am so excited to see um, what this next race brings, which will be the Echo Park Automotive Grand Prix at the Circuit of America's Coda. That's down in Texas. I think the first time I've ever seen the Grand Prix yeah. used in a NASCAR title, yeah. which is kind of cool. I All like kinds it. of changes for NASCAR this year. Well, you love to see it. And Mitch, you always give a great update every week here on NASCAR. And, and I'm so fascinated by this, this new car and, and the way that things are rolling and uh, good to see that it's going well and, and different, right. Different winners like every week, it seems like, which is also a good thing for the sport. I think, you know? Yeah. We're done with parody and NASCAR. We yep. need some randomness. So. For sure. Yeah. All right, uh, Mitch, before we wrap up the news here, we've got to talk some March Madness because it is madness, baby. The NCAA tournament got underway last Thursday and Friday was rounds uh, was the first round Saturday, Sunday, the second round, the sweet 16 will get underway Thursday and Friday, March 24th and 25th. But uh, we've had uh, some some wild things going on. One uh, one of the number one seeds is down already. That is Baylor, who lost to the eight seed North Carolina Tar Heels, who are on to the Sweet 16. Uh, we've seen uh, a couple two seeds go down. The Auburn Tigers went down in the round of 32 to Miami. Uh, and then, of course, the story that you've all you all know, we're all aware of this. The St. Peter's Peacocks of New Jersey taken down the Kentucky Wildcats in round one, taking down the fighting John Morantz, the Murray state racers in round two to advance to the sweet 16. The Peacocks will take on Purdue on Friday in the sweet 16. 
Uh, no one seed in that bracket. No two seed. You have three seed Purdue, four seed UCLA. North Carolina is the eight and the 15 St. Peter's. They become just the third 15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16 following Florida Gulf Coast and last year Oral Roberts. But none of those teams, Mitch, have advanced to the Elite Eight. So can the Peacocks continue the run at least for another round against Purdue? Hold on. Uh, they got to go back on. Look, I love this Purdue team. I really love this Purdue team. I think they get it done against uh, against St. Peter's. Great story. Great story. The 15 seed, getting it done. Uh, I, I've seen the TikToks of like, uh, you know, the, the – the the audio of we are African Americans plus Mark and it's like it points to Doug who's <laughs> you know Doug's the 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 lone white guy the on the token team. white guy on the team yeah I mean, it's, he is. who it's balls fine. out I mean right. he balls out but you know like I I think this stretch ends here uh, I really like this Purdue team I really do I felt um, almost a little sacrilege take in Auburn because uh, at the beginning of this tournament, because you know, me being a Bama guy, real damn tied. Right. Um, I did like what Bruce Pearl did with that, with that uh, Auburn team uh, didn't work out past the second round, but um, so, so, you know, screw you war Eagle real damn tied. <laughs> Well, that was uh, your first I, mistake there. Yeah. That was my first mistake. <laughs> but you know what? If I'm going to amend my pick, I like Purdue. I like Purdue a lot. I also like Providence a lot. Mm. But we also have to look at the fact that they played two pretty low seats in Richmond and South Dakota State. Now they go up against probably the favorite in the tournament, Kansas. That's going to be a really tough victory for them to get by. But um, I, you know, I'm going to ride with Purdue. I'm going to ride yeah. with Purdue to get to get to that at least to the nat at least to the natty. Oh, at least to the natty. There you go. Yeah, a couple more notable uh, Sweet 16 teams. Uh, We have two 11 seeds that made it through. Uh, We discussed, uh, talked about number 10, Miami, getting past Auburn. But Iowa State, uh, the Cyclones out of the Big 12, upsetting LSU in the first round, and then Wisconsin in the round of 32 to advance to the Sweet 16. Mitch, the Cyclones won two games last season. They won two games last season and they are now in the sweet 16. I mean, that is, if, if there's anything that, you know, if there's anything that encapsulates March madness, it's stories like Iowa state. It's stories like St. Peter's where when you've got, when, when you could get in and give yourself a shot, anything can happen. Uh, we're seeing that through uh, this week of games. Uh, the other 11 seed Michigan beating number six, Colorado state, and then number three, Tennessee, to set up a matchup against Villanova in the sweet 16. So Mitch, I had Kansas and Gonzaga in the finals and both of my teams are still there. Now I did also have Kentucky and Tennessee in the final four and those teams are already out. So the rest of my brackets are shot, but if I get the championship, right, I will feel happy. And so far I'm feeling pretty confident in the Zags. And in the Jayhawks to get to the championship, Arizona looks good. Huge, uh, huge comeback, you know, win against TCU the other night. Uh, and so they'll be dangerous and Purdue. I'm, I'm with you uh, there about the Boilermakers, but uh, just more fun to be had in March Madness over the next weekend. 
Yeah, another team that I think we didn't mention was Houston uh, with the a little bit of a nostalgia here, thinking about the five slam ajama days yes. with Clyde Drexler and Akeem Elijahwan on those teams. So um, yeah, yeah, good to see them in there, but I don't think they get past Arizona. Arizona is yeah. a really solid team. Yeah, you know, but that's got to be, that's probably one of the best Sweet 16 matchups we get is the Cougars yeah. versus the Wildcats there, Arizona and Houston uh, in the Sweet 16. That should be uh, a great game. So, uh, Mitch, that's going to do it for the news. We've got a top five. We'll do, and then we'll do some NFL draft stuff, player to know after that. But let's get to the top five here. What do you have in store for us this week? Well, top five, Dallin. You know, we, uh, we're, we're in the thick of NFL draft season. Yes. Lots of NFL draft stuff coming up. And there is a specific individual that, well, there's two. There's two specific individuals that we really look at their their mock drafts. Like they're probably the most well known. And one of those guys happens to be Mr. Mel Kuyper. And Mel Kuyper has been a quote unquote a self proclaimed draft expert. If you uh, want to watch something on uh, his uh, his rise to becoming a draft expert, I really uh, recommend that you watch the NFL Films documentary on the 1994 draft um, because probably one of his most infamous moments there uh, when he has a run in with the Colts GM. But anyway, Mel Kuyper knows a lot about football. However, Mel Kuyper has not always been right about football and he has missed on a lot. So on this week's edition of Mitch Moe's top five list of the week, we're going to do the top five Mel Kuyper worst draft takes oh yes i like it i like it all right sunglasses coming off for this one we need we need to lock in for this one all right here we go let's start with the honorable mentions um the honorable mentions uh starting with his comparing johnny menzel to fran tarkenton (laughs) that's tough yeah that's a that's a tough one he also rated LaDainian Tomlinson the 25th best player in the 2001 draft. Turned out I mean, a little better than that. It turned out, yeah, he was, went sixth overall and wound up being the fifth leading rusher of all time. But, yeah. you know, who do we know? You know, what do we know? Uh, Kajana Carter, who was a highly touted prospect out of Penn State, uh, was drafted to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, he was projected to be the next Bo Jackson by Mel Kuyper. Uh, Kajana Carter, obviously, uh, yeah, he suffered a, a very devastating knee injury, had some productive years in the NFL, but never panned out to be what he was supposed to be. Um, he also gave Seattle a C-minus draft grade in the 2012 draft. And that 2012 draft, that yielded Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and Bruce Irvin. Um, <laughs> big miss <Yes>. by Mr. <laughs> Kuyper. And then he also, my last minute honorable mention is for Dan Marino. He said about the draft pick, I don't understand it. Oh, what don't you understand about Dan Marino? Oh my (laughs) God. So uh, some pretty significant ones there. Those are just the honorable mentions. I love those. just the honorable mentions. (laughs) Let's get into number five here. Number five, Ricky Stanzi. As you remember, the quarterback out of the university of Iowa, will have the best career in his draft class of all the quarterbacks. 
That was in 2011. Um, so just to note, 2011 also had Cam Newton, Andy Dalton in that draft class. Yeah. Um, had much better careers than Ricky Stanzi, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but let's just look at the draft class of 2011 as a whole. It included Vaughn Miller, A.J. Green, Julio Jones, Patrick Peterson, J.J. Watt, Mike Pouncey, Ryan Kerrigan, Mark Ingram, Cam Jordan, Anthony Costanzo, and Muhammad Wilkerson. Yeah. Wow. Uh, A fat miss on your part, Mr. (laughs) Kuyper. Not even close. Um, So Ricky Stanzi and his, uh, his awful take on what Ricky Stanzi could be in the NFL uh, is number five on the list. Number four, Jamarcus Russell, who, and I'm using his words here, could be John Elway-like. Huh. As we know, uh, Jamarcus Russell did not last even five years in the league, had compiled a 7-18 record with the Raiders, um, and literally ate his way out of the league, becoming a 300-pound-plus a blob of a quarterback by the end of his career. And I know that's harsh to say, but that's exactly what he was by the end of the court, by the end of the, uh, his, his run in the NFL. Um, just an awful take. And now we know Jamarcus Russell as one of the greatest busts in NFL history. And to compare him to the great John Elway in that way, uh, really is quite the blemish on your expertise mm-hmm. as an NFL, uh, draft expert. So Jamarcus Russell goes to number five. Now, number three, Ryan Leaf. He said, and I quote, his attitude will be an asset in the NFL. <laughs> a guy that most notably was a dickhead and also chewed out a media member on camera in a locker room. Uh, it, it, thankfully, and now we've seen multiple interviews with Ryan Leaf in recent years has seemed to really come around as a human being. Um, but back in the day, Ryan Leaf was not a cool dude, like really kind of an asshole. And for Mel Kuyper to suggest just, I mean, not even really getting to know the guy, just watching his play in the NFL and maybe a few brief moments he had with him to say his attitude will be his asset in the NFL. One of the worst takes I've ever heard. And I think if anyone says that without truly knowing a person, that's a really bad take. Am I, am I in, if I, incorrect in saying that no, I, mean, I think that's fair okay i just feel like you, you know you really have to spend some time with someone to know if they're really uh, i mean he was also clearly solid. wrong about that you know very clearly <laughs> it did not become an asset <laughs> right yeah exactly um so let's get on to number two so ryan leaf number three number two mike williams when talking to espn analyst merrill hodge about mike williams the you know Number 10 pick by the Detroit Lions in 2010. He said, I'll see you at his Hall of Fame induction. Hmm. Well, Mike Williams ended up catching up a total of 37 balls for two touchdowns in Detroit. He had one good season with the Seattle Seahawks, but had uh, 127 career receptions and five touchdowns throughout his entirety of his career. This yeah. was this was USC wide receiver Mike Williams, right? This was USC wide receiver Mike Williams. Yes, um, he I was, was so high on that guy. I mean, I was high on any USC guy, but Kuiper had <laughs> Williams rated ahead of Alex Smith, 
Demarcus Ware and Aaron Rodgers in that draft. Wow. Yeah. Um, so a huge miss um, by uh, Mr. Kuyper. But number one, Dallin, and this one is especially for you. Jimmy Clausen. Oh, no. And Mel Kuyper promised to retire in eight years if he wasn't a successful NFL quarterback. Why hasn't he retired? <laughs> He's still around. Mel, submit the walking papers. Give your two weeks notice, buddy. It's been well past eight years. Jimmy Clausen is out of the league now. I mean, that's like, that's such a bold take. Like, I don't know if anyone should be ballsy enough to do that. No, you're also just setting yourself up to be wrong. That's just all that's doing. You're just setting yourself up to be wrong one day looking like an asshole because you're not going to just quit your job because you said you would one time on a, on a take that you had, you just look like a jackass because of it. So yeah, he, he just know. set him up. He just set himself up to be one of the biggest yeah. douchebags of the ESPN. So um, Mel Kuyper winds up at number one, Jimmy Clausen. So to recap <laughs> number five, Ricky Stanzi having the best career in his draft class at the quarterback position. Number four, Jamarcus Russell being Elway like, Number three, Ryan Leaf's attitude being an asset in the NFL. Number two, I will see you at his Hall of Fame ceremony for Mike Williams. And number one, Mel Kuyper promised to retire if Jimmy Clausen wasn't a successful NFL quarterback after eight years. I love that, Mitch. What a fantastic top five. Uh, It just goes to show that some people will say some crazy stuff and uh, no one's really an expert. Nobody knows what's going to happen. This is uh, this is an industry uh, that is not prophecy. It is projection. Right. And uh, you can say this guy's going to be great all we want. And uh, it just might not happen. And the guy no one's talking about, like a Tom Brady ends up becoming the greatest of all time, you know, and it's just funny. It's just funny how that works. A good reminder that the S experts are, you know, not, uh, not maybe as, as much of experts as, as they like to pretend to be. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. Uh, Midge. Well, speaking of experts and speaking of Mel Kuyper, we got to talk about the NFL draft and Mr. Mel Kuyper. Uh, I don't believe release. any of it. I don't yes, believe any of it. Re- he did release a new uh, version of his, uh, NFL mock draft uh, as sort of free agency has progressed. And uh, most of it was pretty chalky. I just wanted to to point out maybe a couple notable uh, predictions here. Now, uh, fully all in on Aiden Hutchinson at number one, which you will see. And this is something we've talked about already here uh, with them bringing back Cam Robinson on the franchise tag, having Jawan Taylor, who they did spend a top 10 pick, I believe, or at least top 15 pick a couple years ago, uh, they're likely not going to be looking offensive line with what they've addressed there. I think they brought in Brandon Scherf as well, right? So offensive line they've invested in. So likely, uh, you know, Aiden Hutchinson would be the guy. He's kind of the top prospect. So you'll see him mocked more and more there at number one. Uh, He does have Detroit going Kyle Hamilton. Uh, One of the more interesting notes was two wide receivers in the top 10, the Jets taking Drake London at number four. And then the Atlanta Falcons taking Garrett Wilson at number eight. Now, Wilson is a riser after the combine. He tested really well, ran a four, three, eight, 40. I'm not quite as convinced on Wilson. I think he's more boomer bust. I think Chris Olave, his Ohio State teammate, has a little more 
uh, of a, a, a higher floor, if you will. Uh, I thought it was interesting that London doesn't go at the number 10 pick for the Jets, which has seemed like a pretty common place at the back end of the top 10. But instead, at number four, when uh, like an Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, all of those guys, any of the top corners were all still available for the Jets. I don't, I don't see that happening. I don't see a wide receiver going top five. Uh, I don't know your thoughts on that, but I thought that was uh, certainly interesting. I see the possibility of a wide receiver or two going top 10. I really do. Especially when you look at guys like the Atlanta Falcons, who just brought in a uh, Marcus Mariota that is going to fill kind of a bridge role for the team. Um, build up a weapons core for whoever they're going to bring in to be the long-term answer. Um, I, I, I could see a couple wide receivers sneaking up in there. I, right, but top I, five, cause I asked top oh, five, top 10 well, is again, like at, back into the top 10, that makes sense. But at number four, that seems. A no, n- no, there needs to be an edge rusher or an offensive lineman going there. In my opinion, yeah. um, whether that's Evan Neal or Icky Aquanu, um, uh, uh, Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, one of those guys needs to go at number four, I, or maybe even one of the one of the uh, defensive backs uh, going um, in that spot there that early. But no, a wide receiver should not be sneaking up into the top five. It's not that strong of a wide receiver. Yeah, and I do think wide receiver should be in play with the number ten pick, that second first round pick that the Jets have after they've addressed, as you said, those more valuable uh, positions, and especially at the top of the draft there. I mean, shoot, if you're going to just take Drake London, I mean, trade back, right? If any, if, is anyone yeah. willing to jump up for a guy? I mean, you should, like, you could, you're going to be able to get that guy at six or seven for sure, and, and you know, feels like it'd be maybe a, a bit of a reach there at number four. But uh, a few other notes on this mock draft. Uh, Kuiper does have three quarterbacks going uh, in the first round at number eight at the 18th pick. The Saints taking Kenny Pickett. Uh, the Steelers taking Malik Willis at the 20th pick, and then the Detroit Lions taking Matt Corral at number 32. I still don't love the quarterback at number 32 for the Lions, Mitch. And the reason why is because if you're going to be doing this Jared Goff rebuild this slowly thing, then you're hoping to take your rookie quarterback like next year, right? Like with, when there's better prospects, if you drafted Matt Corral and now you have a quarterback who drafted in the first round just the year before, like, what are you doing with that guy? Are you just trading him next year? Cause you're at the top of the draft and you know, you can get a top prospect. Like what's the point of bringing that guy in when you could get so like an actual valuable player to help your team as you continue to build it. So unless they're just completely out on the quarterback market next year, it makes no sense for me to take for the Detroit lions to take a quarterback there at 32. Now, will somebody want to trade for that pick and take a quarterback at 32? Like absolutely, but it shouldn't be the lions. I've just learned that anything I see or read or hear about quarterbacks, I'm just not going to believe because I've seen, (laughs) I've seen anything from, was it the Panthers at six? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Taking Kenny Pickett at number six. Oh, we're no, they're going to take Malik Willis number six. Oh, no, wait. They're, they're going to all the way. There's no quarterback going below the, you know, going before the top 20. Right. I've seen it all. So, like, I don't trust anything I hear about quarterbacks. And I think that's the biggest wild card in this draft is going to be quarterbacks because 
there is no, there's nothing reliable that we could take about team needs that has to do with quarterbacks. We could, we could talk about how much they need them all we want, but we really don't know if those teams are actually looking towards the future and ready to build the future now, or if they're willing to find a bridge guy and wait till next year's draft class where there are better prospects at the quarterback position. So anything quarterbacks, I'm just sitting and waiting on, I'm just like going to sit there and twiddle my thumbs and go, Hey, whatever happens happens. I'm going to be entertained no matter what. Yeah, we certainly don't know yet. And it is a curious part of this draft process as we are just about a month, maybe five weeks away from the NFL draft at the end of April. Usually at this point, I mean, there is a general consensus on maybe not the exact order, but the groupings of players, right? Who's in the top tier? Who's the next tier? At this point last year, we knew Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. Those guys are going to be in play in the top five. Mac Jones is going to be a top a first round pick. Like we knew those things were true a month before the draft last year. But as you said, I mean, we don't even know the rankings of these guys, right? Like there's no consensus on who's number one, two, three, four. Like, I mean, like it's, it is, it is really, you know, it's anyone's guess as to where these quarterback stands and where teams have these guys ranked. So besides predicting when guys will go, what teams they'll go to. I mean, it is, you're right. It's, it is just a very much wait and see process here. Uh, you know, pro days going on. Kenny Pickett had his pro day on Monday. Malik Willis had his pro day today on Tuesday, the 22nd of March. So, uh, and, and, and bolt and Willis was pretty impressive today for what it seems. And so, uh, you know, we'll see how that helps maybe, uh, elevate guys or, 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 you know, establish a bit of an order, but yes, it is very much up in the air still, which is one of the more interesting things with this, uh, 2022 NFL draft. Yeah. I mean, and I, I was just going to say, we have pro day still coming up. Who knows? Desmond Ritter, Ritter may put on a show and be the number two prospect right. one in the draft. And so. Matt Corral and Desmond Ritter and those types of Sam Howell, you know, those guys who aren't viewed, you know, Willis Pickett, those guys are, are more commonly thought of in the top two or three in the mix of those top two or three, those other three guys, as you mentioned, Ritter, Howell, Corral, uh, you know, there's more varied opinion, perhaps a solid pro day performance could elevate one of those guys could solidify them as, you know, as one of those top prospects, but uh, Mitch, our player to know before the NFL draft this week. Uh, and as I mentioned last week, I'm going to try to highlight some more mid or late round prospects that I do think are interesting. Uh, I, I think are, are, are worthy of knowing and paying attention to last week. We talked about Justin Ross, the wide receiver from Clemson, a highly touted high school prospect who had a great freshman sophomore year and has, sort of fallen off since due to injury and uh, and you know, not just not playing as well. Uh, this week, we've got another pass catcher, a fascinating story. One of the more intriguing players that I got to see in person this year covering BYU. Uh, and that is Jelani Woods, the tight end from the Virginia Cavaliers, the Wahoos in Charlottesville, number zero for the Virginia Cavaliers, six foot seven, 265 pounds as a tight end. And get this background, Mitch. Jelani Woods started his career at Oklahoma State as a quarterback, by quarterback out of high school before transitioning to tight end, was in, was in Stillwater for four years, 
uh, and was mainly just used as an extra blocker because of his size, six foot seven, two sixty. Uh, didn't get a lot of experience as a pass catcher, so he graduated, entered the transfer portal this past season. Virginia picked him up and was willing to use him as a pass catching tight end, and he showed out uh, really well this year with uh, with Virginia at forty four receptions, five hundred ninety eight yards, and eight touchdowns. All of those numbers were more than he had in all of his seasons in Oklahoma State combined. Uh, and it's now sort of put him in a position uh, to be a, a, a name uh, considered in the uh, what will be the late rounds of the NFL draft. Right now, you're looking at a sixth-round projection on Jelani Woods, uh, but his NFL combine, it helped him out quite a bit. He had 24 reps on the bench press, which was the most of all the tight ends and some, more than some of the top offensive line prospects like Kenyon Green and Daniel Falele. Uh, he also ran a 4.6140, which was the second fastest 40 yard dash time at a tight end. Now, 4.61 at 6.7, 265 pounds. This guy is a physical outlier. And when you when you have that type of prospect, he is absolutely worth taking a shot in the mid to late rounds if you have the right kind of coaching staff in place willing to be creative with this type of prospect. And when I watched him play against uh, BYU this year, that was a big game. 66-49 was the final score. Uh, I mean, offense everywhere. And he is such a mismatch as an athlete. I mean, his size is huge, so... They'd get him the ball in space, and that four six one forty, he can make moves. He can obviously break tackles. He's huge, uh, and that kind of prospect. He's not a highly touted guy because he doesn't have the numbers. He didn't have production before coming to Virginia. He was basically just a blocking tight end, but he has that sort of physical outlier that I'm saying this right now. Like in three or four years, if that guy is a legitimate starting tight end for a team, I would not be surprised. They don't like that. Those these types of athletes and these types of players don't come about that often. And with the right situation, I think he could be exactly what the NFL wants in those huge athletic tight ends that just create mismatches. And the NFL is about creating mismatches for your offense. This is a mismatch waiting to happen. If he becomes that guy, he could be uh, he could be great. Yeah, like you mentioned, the the above average blocking from him, uh, great size. A uh, size that's comparable to like a Mo Alley Cox, mm-hmm. uh, who's currently in Indianapolis, a big, big target. Um, haven't seen a whole lot of him. And in fact, I'll say that I haven't seen any of him. Um, but the reports are great on him. Sounds like he's got great breakaway speed, great length, a 6'10 wingspan. So um, a guy that could be a legitimate red zone uh, threat like a Mo Alley Cox uh, when he was at his peak performance. So uh, definitely a weapon someone would want to have on their NFL roster. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the, you know, I, I think best case scenario for this guy is better than Moali Cox, but like the average case scenario is to be that type of player, which is uh, obviously a valuable asset to have on an NFL team. And, and, and certainly I said it, like I said, in the right situation, uh, it could be even more than that. So that's the player to know before the NFL draft this week. It's Jelani Woods, uh, the tight end from Virginia. Uh, Mitch, that's going to do it for the NFL draft for the news for the first half of this podcast. We're going to take a break and hit a mid roll. And when we come back, we will discuss NFL free agency, 
quarterback trades with a little buy or sell. So stick around and we'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the Sports Hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening. But if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on Anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the Sports Hour and become a permanent part of the show, like my saint of a mother, Sammy, and my father, David, did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back into the sports hour with Mitch Bowen. I hope you had a great break here. If you liked anything that you heard in the first half of this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Make sure you go on anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys, leave a voice message so that you can become a part of the conversation Coming into this second half of the podcast, Dallin, we got, I mean, it seems like every week there is just more and more happening in the NFL. Probably one of the wildest NFL off seasons that I can remember, at least as far as free agency trades go, big names on the move. And this last week was no different. Let's start from the top, shall we? Deshaun Watson still facing 22 counts of, of uh, you know, stuff going on in court sexual harassment sexual harassment misconduct yeah 22 counts of that that's going to civil court we're not going to get into that the nfl side of it here uh he's been traded from the houston texans which is he's been looking for for the last two years to the cleveland browns in this trade the Browns receive Deshaun Watson and his 2024 sixth round pick. The Texans get a huge haul on this. Three first round picks, 2022, 2023, and 2024. A third round pick in 2023 and two fourth round picks in 2022 and 2024. Um, huge haul for the Houston Texans, but they get rid of essentially the centerpiece of their franchise and he's going to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Dallin, your initial reactions to this move uh, for Cleveland, for Houston, I mean, how does this affect either side? Yeah, I mean, I thought the, the way this all kind of played out was interesting. We talked on the podcast last week uh, that uh, the, the, pri- the prior Friday, uh, the, which I believe was the 11th, uh, he had the grand jury that, uh, you know, the criminal cases weren't going to move forward. It sort of opened the door for these discussions. And even in the few days after that, things were rolling, right? You had the NFC South, basically all the teams in the NFC South outside of the Bucks were in the mix there. Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta, uh, Cleveland was sort of mentioned in there. And then on that final day, the reports were, it is down to the Saints or the Falcons. The Browns were told reportedly that they were out. The Panthers were told that they were out. And then at the last minute, Deshaun said, I want to go to Cleveland. Uh, and so because of the no trade clause, uh, Houston has to make the deal with Cleveland, which they do. And, uh, and the compensation for Deshaun Watson, I obviously is fair on, on, on that side. I mean, we are you're, you're trading for a guy at this age and, uh, with as good as a quarterback as he is, the compensation is going to be big. And, uh, it was no matter who it came from. So, 
interesting that that sort of shifted, but Cleveland was always the team that made more sense in terms of just being ready to win now, right? Like New Orleans, their cap situation is awful and they certainly have a good team, but it, it who knows how long they can keep that team together financially. Atlanta does not have a good team ready to win now. Carolina is has maybe a good defense and not a good offensive line, but they're certainly not a place you'd feel more comfortable. Cleveland uh, of all of those destinations was more of a contender than anyone. Uh, so certainly it makes the Browns uh, even more of a contender in the AFC, uh, especially moving forward in the future, uh, right? We don't know what the NFL punishment would be or could be from uh, the league. Deshaun could still be suspended and miss parts of this season. Uh, we don't know what that looks like yet. Uh, and, you know, with this, Mitch, you know, a part of this deal is not just trading all that for Deshaun Watson, but signing him to a new deal, a deal which will give him $230 million guaranteed. It's the biggest guaranteed contract in NFL history. And it comes to a guy who is currently facing 22 civil counts of sexual assault, harassment, and misconduct. And I, I just have to say this, Mitch, it is, I, I, I tweeted this. I, I've, I haven't said much about this Deshaun Watson situation, and we haven't on this podcast because there's just, it's too, it's complicated, right? And it's kind of above what we do here. It's more to it. But I want to I wanted to say this and I and I said this on Twitter and I'll I'll share it here again. It is it is shameful to me that the NFL continues to show that if you are a good enough player on the football field, you can be as bad of a person off the field as you want and somebody will pay you money to play for you and not just any money here. The biggest guaranteed contract in NFL history, $230 million for a guy who has serious accusations against him. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with those accusations or what these civil lawsuits are about, go look them up because whether they're fully true or not, maybe no one will ever know. And we don't know yet, certainly how those will play out, but those are serious accusations. And the fact that not a single NFL team reached out to any of the women in those lawsuits did not reach out to the lawyer representing those 22 women in those civil lawsuits, but felt comfortable enough trading their entire future draft stock. In some cases, as it would have been for the Saints and the Panthers and maybe the Falcons, multiple players in return for a player in his situation and being willing to pay him that amount of money. It is shameful. And yet it is unsurprising that that is the way that the NFL is. And I am just, I just feel icky about the whole situation. Like it just feels gross. It feels gross that in a week's time, that guy from, from the minute his criminal cases went out the door a week later, he's on another team making hundreds of million dollars guaranteed, no matter what happens to him over the rest of his contract. It is just, it just feels gross. And I don't like it. And I don't like it. And it, it is disappointing. I mean, it's, I, but it's not though, because it's, I'm not surprised, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's all I had to share. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I think you're totally justified in sharing that. And because 
I'm, you know, I'm not the only one that agrees with you. I think that a large part of you know, a majority of America, and I, I would hope the majority of listeners on this podcast agree with you too. Um, you know, we talk about the NFL being a, a league that holds high standards. Um, when we talk about moves towards social justice and, 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 you know, everything that this country has endured over the last um, couple of years, yet they do this and they allow this to happen. Someone who has 22 civil counts of sexual misconduct, abuse um, against him, and they allow him to get this fat contract. If we, if, and I've never been a supporter of Colin Kaepernick. Never been a supporter of him, but I will stand here and say right now that Colin Kaepernick deserves a contract in the NFL more than Deshaun Watson does right now. Because whether I, I, even though I disagree with the way Colin Kaepernick went about his business, that is far less inconsequential than what Deshaun Watson did to those 22 women, whether they're true or not. Of course, you know, justice will be served uh, in the court of law and, and those will be, you know, figured out, you know, over time. But um, this is for someone to spend a disgusting amount of money. And, you know, even let's go to re- more recent events. Calvin Ridley, Calvin Ridley getting right. suspended an entire year for betting $1,500 on a NFL game he's not even really associated with an NFL team at the time he's signed to an NFL team, but he's not practicing. He's not playing with the team. And you know, we hold that to a higher degree of penalty than what we hold these guys who are abusers. And if the NFL is really worried about image, they need to really look at these situations and make a decision. They need to take a look in the mirror and make a decision because this is a, very poorly executed um, decision, not just by the Texans, not just by the Browns, but by the NFL as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I appreciate you saying that Mitch about Colin Kaepernick, because I was going to say it and I'm glad that you feel the same way because, you know, know, and, and, and I appreciate it from you because we stand on different sides of that argument. And we've talked about that on this podcast and how that all came about. And yet, in the face of all that, we could all see that blatant hypocrisy of a league that won't accept Colin Kaepernick in that situation, but will accept Deshaun Watson because he's good enough, because he's too good to yeah. not pay that money. And it is gross. And, you know, listen, I you know who I feel bad. I, I feel bad for Cleveland Browns fans as a as a fan of a team who was on the verge, who was attempting to trade for shot Deshaun Watson. If Deshaun Watson okayed the Panthers, he would be a Carolina Panthers right now. Uh, a panther right now and i was not okay with that i was i just really wasn't i did not want that i did not think that was right and i feel bad for cleveland browns fans who now have to come to terms with being excited about the football aspects of this but being disgusted that their team would do this at this time and 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 that is a complicated thing and i feel bad for those fans uh and you know deshaun watson has a lot of work ahead for himself right to prove that he isn't that guy to make amends for mistakes that he has made to write 
uh, the narrative on, you know, to right the wrongs that he's done. And, and I hope for his sake, he seems contrite, seems like a very uh, God fearing man, a Christian man. I hope he takes that seriously. I hope that is not just a ruse or a blanket uh, to deflect uh, public opinion. And I hope that is sincere from him. And I hope he uses that uh, to, to be a, a good example and, and to right those wrongs. But, you know, on the football field, this is obvious what this does for Cleveland, right? I want to make one more note about the contract. And then I want to talk about Baker Mayfield and where he fits in all of this, because that is like a whole other thing here. But uh, <laughs> I wanted to note this uh, again with the NFL and the way they're handling this, the, the Browns are signing uh, Deshaun to this extension, 230 million guaranteed. This His contract for this next year is a million dollars in base salary. That the, the average, uh, the, the average, uh, he makes per year is not $1 million on this contract. It's significantly more, but they specifically made the 2022 year only a million dollars so that when he is inevitably suspended for an undetermined amount of games, the financial penalty will not be felt by Deshaun Watson because he only makes a million dollars this year. So he misses a couple games. He misses a couple hundred thousand as opposed to, being paid $35, $40 million this year and missing out on millions of dollars, which is just another thing that just feels so fucking gross. It just feels so gross that they would do that. And, you know, obviously it's legal to do within the systems. You know, they could do that with their contracts. Just gross. But uh, we'll see what that suspension looks like from the NFL and the effect of that. And perhaps, you know, if there's a big suspension, it maybe doesn't look great for the Browns this year, but with his age and the way that roster is built, this certainly sets them up uh, for the, for the future, right. To make some legitimate runs at a super bowl for Baker Mayfield, who is now on the trade block and, and will be traded. Uh, we discussed this yesterday, just talking, but the market for Baker is very slim. Pretty much everybody has addressed the quarterback position uh, besides maybe a number of teams. And so, where will Baker Mayfield go? It's a good question. Right now, it seems like the two most common teams that you hear are the Seattle Seahawks and the Carolina Panthers. Panthers have Sam Darnold, who they are on the books for $20 billion for Darnold. Baker makes about the same, so it wouldn't necessarily make sense to bring them both in. So for the Panthers, they'd have to be able to move on from Darnold to be able to bring in Baker. For the Seahawks, obviously, they only have Drew Locke in a number nine overall pick. Are they looking QB? Do they want something else? That kind of makes sense uh, on that regard. I do think, and I have seen on Twitter that sources say that he prefers Carolina over Seattle. But again, it just depends on if they could even make it work. There's legitimately not another team that I can think of that would really be able to make a move for Baker Mayfield at this point. And I don't know where the Browns go from here. It's, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, those are my two favorites. Those are my two favorites, Seattle and Carolina. I think that he's a better fit in Seattle. He fits more what Russell Wilson did. Um, he would fit more of what, you know, be, if you can keep the big weapons, like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf there. Baker Mayfield is kind of like a poor man's Russell Wilson. So at least that there's that gap that you could bridge there with bringing in a Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, I still am a believer that Baker Mayfield is a good quarterback. Yeah. I think that 
Anytime a quarterback is thrust into the situation that Cleveland's in, it's a tough situation to be thrown into. And granted, the performance wasn't always there for, for Baker, but I think that he did the best that he could have done. He struggled with offensive line protection. Then they adjusted that, and then there was defensive stuff. Then they adjusted that, and then he had weapons that couldn't stay healthy. And then they had that, and then he had a run game that couldn't stay healthy. I mean, it was. I mean, and then one. he couldn't stay healthy. And I mean, then he last, couldn't stay healthy. I mean, basically, so like he, all of last year he played injured. He couldn't. He he always had kind of some sort of roadblock in the way, and that's not to make an excuse. If you want to be a, if you're a number one overall pick in the NFL, you're expected to be a star and overcome those obstacles. I'm not going to make excuses for him, but I just want to point those facts out that maybe though he was a number one. He's still a talented quarterback, even though he may not have been worthy of being a number one. Yeah. So like, you know, I I think Seattle would be a great second chance for him. It's not going to be a winning situation, but you're given two good weapons. You have a good running game. Rashad Penny has boosted himself up uh, to, to, you know, being what he was supposed to be. Um, you know, maybe Seattle's a good rebirth place for, for Baker to, to have a kind of a, a second chance at a career in the NFL. You know, I, I, I think at this point, honestly, I think Baker is being underrated, right? I think for probably a little bit. He gets a lot of that, hate. He gets a lot that, of hate. After that 2020 season, we were probably overrating him a bit. And last year really brought him down. But I think at this point, he's being underrated, right? Like legit. Here, here's this, Mitch. Would you rather have Baker Mayfield next season or Carson Wentz? Baker Mayfield. I'd rather have Baker. And and the and the Washington Commanders traded two third round picks for Carson Wentz before all the other quarterback moves got made, which is really funny in hindsight, knowing the price for Matt Ryan and the price for some of these other guys that became available. Like, had they wait, just waited wait, a couple weeks, they could have been in a better spot, you know. But which you're really tugging at my heartstrings here because I'm kind of a Carson Wentz apologist. But again, so and, like, and, and it's not like Carson but, but, Wentz but, is you know really really bad, but it just goes to no. show. No, you but know. like I, I would, I, I think that the upside is there for Baker yeah. where Wentz has to prove it more. Right. Well, and the thing is, and, the, and that was my other point here is Baker hasn't really been like objectively bad. He's just been like maybe average at best. Right. And like, look at a Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold was objectively bad. And the Panthers still traded a second and a fourth for him, right? Like they mm-hmm. still traded that for a guy who never actually looked that good. Whereas Baker Mayfield in that 2020 season, when the teams were healthy, when he was healthy, that was a legitimate team. I mean, they won a playoff game like they were good and he was good. He was good in that. And so if you're a team out there that can make or is looking to make an upgrade, he will be intriguing. But again, the market is dried up. Everyone's sort of made moves. Pittsburgh's brought in Mitchell Trubisky. Atlanta's brought in Marcus Mariota. And we'll talk about Matt Ryan whoa, 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 whoa. Say his name right. Oh, sorry. Maria. <laughs> Maria shout Mario. Yes. Yeah, shout out to Tony uh, in the Dynasty League who put, had, to, had to let the people know in the chat and, and, and misspelled or and auto-corrected to Maria. Said a Mariota, which three times said. it corrected to Maria. Maria Mariota is how he is forever known on this podcast. So. <laughs> yes, Maria is going to Atlanta. We'll get into the Matt Ryan. So, but it's like Miami has Tua and Teddy, right? New York has right. Daniel Jones and Tarod Taylor, right? Like right. everyone's sort of 
you know, figured it out. And the only other team that sort of makes sense to me is Pittsburgh, except for the fact that they're division rivals and they're not trading Baker Mayfield to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like I would just be shocked if they did that. So there's not a lot of options left. So we'll see Seattle, Carolina, if another team emerges perhaps, but uh, you know, one of the few names left out there in the quarterback market is Baker Mayfield and the team that he was linked most to before these deals were made was Indianapolis, right? The Colts who had moved on from Carson Wentz and clearly had a hole. Well, they did not go Baker Mayfield, Mitch. They went Matt Ryan, who obviously spurned as the Atlanta Falcons were chasing Deshaun Watson in the sweepstakes there, uh, decided it was time to move on. And so the Falcons have shipped Matt Ryan to Indianapolis in exchange for a third round pick, a and it is a 2022 third. Is that correct? Um, a 2022 third. Yes. Yeah. So a third round pick in this year's draft uh, for Matt Ryan, the Falcons are eating a dead cap hit. That is the highest dead cap hit in NFL history. It's over $40 million. That's on their books this year for Matt Ryan, that, that they are just eating that money, which is just absurd. But Mitch, uh, before we talk about the Falcons, let's talk about the Colts because this is the perfect move, in my opinion, for Indianapolis. I, I really like this. Matt Ryan has not been bad, right? He is certainly not playing at the MVP level we saw in 2016 with that Super Bowl team. But he has not, you know, regressed in a significant way yet. He is older, I think 37, 38 maybe this year. Uh, but he has enough uh, for this next couple years to really, you know, do some things. And the AFC is going to be tough, right? It's not like it got any easier for the Colts, but this was the exact type of move I would have wanted to see them make. A veteran who's ready to win now, who raises the ceiling, he'll be better than Wentz. He's got to be at least as good as Phillip Rivers was in that final season, if not better than Phillip Rivers in that final year. I mean, Colts, in my opinion, should be the favorite to win the AFC South next year. Yeah, so he will be 37 this year. Um, so right on point with your with your age comparison here. I I really like this, and I don't want to I don't want to compare him to Joe Montana, but I will in a sense. In a sense, yes, I get. I like this though. So, not that Matt Ryan is anywhere near the quarterback that Joe Montana was or was, you know, success wise. But if we remember correctly, Joe Montana left the 49ers to the Kansas City Chiefs, a struggling Kansas City Chiefs team, and led them to an AFC title game in his first year there. He wound up playing, I think, two or three years in Kansas City to wind up his career. Um, Led some good Kansas City Chiefs team there in the early 90s. Matt Ryan's kind of poised to do that. He is a guy that is a great system quarterback, um, is – has an exceptionally high football IQ and makes the most out of bad targets. And I think that I can compare him to Joe Montana in that sense that he's going to come into Indianapolis with a young unproven wide receiver in Michael Pittman jr. A guy that still has something to prove aging targets like T Y Hilton, another unproven target in Paris Campbell. Um, and a solid run game like what Kansas City had when Joe Montana went there. Now he's going to have uh, with Marcus Allen. Now he's going to have it with Jonathan Taylor. 
Matt Ryan might be, I'm not going to put the Colts in the playoffs. I'm not going to say that just yet. I have to see what happens throughout the rest of the offseason. But there are very eerie parallels to what happened with Joe Montana in Kansas City and Matt Ryan in now Indianapolis that there, things could line up that way. I like this signing for Indianapolis, and I think that they had it added a very solid veteran quarterback, high football IQ, and uh, a winner. He, you know, at his core, Matt Ryan is a winner. Yeah, I think it's the perfect it's the perfect fit, right? It's the perfect fit for the Colts. It's the perfect fit for Matt Ryan, right? I mean, this is a team that has a when healthy a top five offensive line. Now they will have to do some work. Eric Fisher is still a free agent. They lost uh, Mike Lewinsky. Uh, so they're going to have to shore some stuff up there. But even without those guys, this is a very solid offensive line with a top-tier run game with Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines. That's a great duo. Uh, and room to grow at the pass catchers. The defense is really solid. Like, this is a great situation for Matt Ryan. A play-action heavy offense where you can rely on the run. You're not asking him to do too much anymore. You're not asking him to throw it 50 times a game anymore like he was doing in Atlanta. A more limited sample size uh, doing by you know, playing into his strengths right now where he's at in his career. And I think I I'm ready to buy it. I think it'll be successful And that division too. I mean, to compete with Tennessee, I mean, I think they could compete with Tennessee absolutely right now with where they're at, you know, and the rest of the division sucks and it's the Texans and the Jags. So it's not like there's much competition there. So as far as competing for the division, I think they're right there and uh, obviously could get better, but I did like this fit with Matt Ryan in Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, I do want to point out that hopefully Indianapolis this, that hopes that Matt Ryan is a starter for more than one year, because this will be the seventh different starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts over the last seven years. Yes. So yes. The uh, ghost of Andrew Luck shudders in Lucas oil stadium as another yikes. big yikes. <laughs> uh, Mitch, as we mentioned, Maria Mariota, uh, Marcus Mariota, the former Oregon Duck, is uh, replacing Matt Ryan in Atlanta. The Falcons have signed the 28-year-old to a two-year, $18 million deal. Uh, it is, in this first season, a one-year, $6.75 million deal that they can get out of. So essentially, maybe a one-year one deal for Mariota to be the placeholder as they you know look to the quarterback uh, of the future, perhaps next year, or make uh, a, a different move there. But I like the signing for Mariota. I, I thought he was wise to go to Vegas and back up there for a couple years and just kind of reset the market for himself. Uh, I think Mariota could be a starting quarterback in the league and be good. I mean, I, I, I'm confident he could be a top 20 quarterback still. So I am intrigued to see how this goes for Atlanta now. Their pass catchers are a mess besides Kyle Pitts, right? Their offensive line isn't very good. The defense is garbage, right? They are not a good team. But I hope Mariota shows well enough that whether the future is with Atlanta or somebody else, that uh, this year gives him that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, this is still a very good quarterback. I mean, this was the best backup quarterback in the NFL last year was Marcus Mariota. And he didn't even have to play to prove it because this guy is talented. Um, he's gonna, he's, he's getting a great opportunity in Atlanta. Um, even if he is a placeholder, if he's not the long-term solution, um, he, you know, he's going to get opportunities after this year. He's still on the right side of 30. 
So even if he does that one year deal, he'd be 29 going in and, and finding, you know, maybe finding someone that's looking for another, a, a, another situation where he could go and fill that. Um, he might be a career bridge quarterback, but there's nothing to be ashamed about that. You're going to go make your money and you're going to be successful. Some, some teams, and you're going to have some runs that maybe are, are super successful. So I love the deal for Marcus Mariota. I they're Maria Mariota. Yes. Uh, yes. I believe that he, I, I'm with you. He made the right decision going to Las Vegas, sitting behind Derek Carr and re kind of resetting the market for himself. Good for him. Good yeah, for him to get for the sure. deal. And hopefully it gets a good fair shake in Atlanta here uh, this next season. Speaking of uh, top quarterbacks in that 2015 class, his counterpart there, Jameis Winston, uh, is resigning with the New Orleans Saints right after the uh, tough injury in October. Uh, he's coming back to the Saints on a two-year, $28 million deal, uh, $21 million guaranteed there. So my guess is that there's probably... Uh, you know, six or seven million hanging over next season if they were to cut him. Uh, but not, you know, not a huge contract from for Winston. Probably mainly just a one year deal to uh, see if this will work. And I think uh, at the start of last season, I think Winston looked to be what the Saints were hoping for, right? And then he gets injured, uh, and and they weren't able to see that full season from Jameis. But uh, you can understand why the Saints, after missing out on Deshaun Watson, feel comfortable rolling it back with Jameis. You still have Taysom Hill, who was also injured. And so you're kind of in the same spot as you were last year, right? It doesn't take them out of the running at quarterback at number 18, and I certainly think they should explore that. And having Jameis back and having Taysom Hill and whatever, like, does not keep you from drafting somebody with that 18th overall pick. And I do think the saints should do that. Uh, but I, I think this is the wise move and uh, one that always kind of made sense in my mind. Yeah. I mean, 18th overall pick that kind of puts him in the Kenny Pickett territory. So, you know, that, that would be a team to watch. Um, I also thought that this would be a great fit for break for uh, Baker Mayfield going to new Orleans um, kind of a, a, city that fits his personality maybe a little bit flashy at times but um he's he has weapons there um like Jameis is not the move in my mind really Jameis is not the move I mean this is still a guy that make you see the workout videos and he's doing all the hip movements and the arm workouts and he's trying to get his throw right dude it has nothing to do with your mechanics mechanically you're fine it's your decision making. It's your decision making. Like you put make poor decisions at the quarterback position. That's the problem. You don't read defense as well. And so I I just I I as talented as I of a thrower as I think Jameis Winston is, I don't think it's the move for New Orleans to to bring him back. Um I I like Jameis. I think he's I think he's cool, but you know it, it's it just doesn't it doesn't feel like the right fit football wise for New Orleans if you're looking for a replacement quarterback because he makes too many mistakes uh, in the decision making process. Yeah, I mean, I think that's still true for Jameis, but I, I think from the Saints too, Mitch, uh, I mean, they didn't get to see that fully last season and, and in the few games that he did play sure. at times it did look good, right? I mean, it did look like it could work that he had improved. So I think there's a, a, a measure of this that's hopeful uh, that 
you know, moving forward that they'll see more of that Jameis, right? And and with the deal that they have, you know, they certainly aren't locking themselves into anything. I don't think he's a long-term solution for them either. Uh, but with their certain current cap situation and, and missing out on Deshaun Watson, uh, there aren't very many other better options. Uh, and I don't necessarily think Baker would, as much as I do like Baker, I don't know if he is a better option for New Orleans where they're at right now. Uh, I think bringing back Jameis and drafting a quarterback in the first round, I like that better uh, for the Saints moving forward. But uh, very interesting uh, that he is back. Uh, For quarterbacks, Mitch, I mean, we've kind of talked about the prospects left. I mean, it's that's pretty much it. That's that's pretty much all the moves, right? There's Carolina still hanging out there. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has not been traded. Who will most? I mean, you would think he'd be traded, but there's you know the the potential landing spots are. Uh, shrinking drastically, right? You have Seattle, Carolina still kind of in the mix. Baker's going to be gone. Jimmy G potentially, if the Panthers can get rid of Sam Darnold, they'd be open to bring somebody else in. And then there's rookie quarterbacks. So uh, where there was so much in the air still about this quarterback, uh, you know, movement this off season, it, after a few weeks, it is now sort of basically settled itself uh, apart from just a few uh, players. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Mitch, uh, to continue talking about some of these deals, this was not a free agency deal, but uh, nonetheless, a big move in the NFL. And that is Devonte Adams being traded from the Green Bay Packers to the Las Vegas Raiders to pair with his college teammate, former Fresno State Bulldogs, Derek Carr uh, and Devonte Adams back together again in Vegas. Mitch, this is, this is fascinating for a number of reasons, right? One, Aaron Rodgers came back to Green Bay, right? And Adams still wanted out. And not that he wanted out of Green Bay. He wanted to go to Las Vegas. That was the only destination. It wasn't like, trade me, I want out, wherever the best offer is, I want to go. Like It was, I want to get me to Vegas or I'm not playing. Like it, that, It's just as simple as that. And so... The Raiders make the move, a first-round pick and a second-round pick this year for Devontae Adams, and then they sign him to the biggest non-quarterback contract in NFL history. I think he's making, what, it's like 26 or 28 a y- mil a year, Devontae. Total, yeah, it's like 183 maybe a, or for, for the total deal. Right. It yeah. is, I mean, it's the biggest NFL contract given to a non-quarterback. Uh, and, again, like... I, I think it's a, I want to talk about this from the Raiders perspective first one. I mean, when he, when a guy like that wants to come play for your team and he's the college, you know, former play, former, you know, teammate of your quarterback. Like, I mean, that's kind of a no brainer. You go get that guy. The, The price was high first round, second round pick two top 50 picks. That is high for Adams but he is one of the best wide receivers in the league. And you kind of have to do it again, when he wants to play for you, I think the problem for the Raiders is that it doesn't help them not be the fourth best team in the AFC West, because unfortunately the entire division got significantly better as well over this off season. So as big of a move as this is right. I mean, you're talking Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. That is a great pass catching group It's exactly what the Raiders needed, but I don't think it helps them not be the fourth best team. Maybe the third best team in this division. Am I like, am I off base there? What do you think? 
I'm going to say something that's going to rattle some bones now, and I'll wait for just a second here to say this. Um, Devontae, Devontae Adams, by the way, lifelong Raiders fan. This was, he had said in multiple interviews, this is his dream to play for the Raiders, right? right. He's a Cal- California kid, played at UC Fresno, um, you know, or CSU Fresno, excuse me. There's, there's a difference between CSU and UC, if you didn't know. He's, he played for CSU Fresno um, with Derek Carr. Um, it, he, he is getting to fulfill his lifelong dreams to play for the, for the Raiders, become the highest paid non-quarterback player in NFL history. Um, a, a fantastic deal for Devontae Adams. This doesn't necessarily mean the Raiders, even though with all the upgrades in the rest of the league, doesn't mean that they're still the fourth best team in that division or the worst team in that division is what I should say. We had a, a we had a segment made up a couple, maybe a couple months ago called The Hill. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to add something to The Hill. Okay. Four AFC West teams will make the playoffs this year. We will have a clean sweep. Wow. And Derek Carr will be top five in MVP voting by the end of the year. Huh. Okay. I love the addition. I think this unlocks the Raiders offense. I think it unlocks Josh Jacobs. I think that if you add a passing uh, a passing option there in that offense that you don't have to rely on him to run the ball 25, 30 times a game. You can give him to the ball 15 to 17 times a game, and he's going to be just, you know, even more effective. Um, the question is still going to be the defense and the defenses still need to be addressed. And I know that they addressed it. And we'll talk about it here in just a second, but um more than this has to be addressed on the defense. It's going to come down to that, but this really makes this this Oakland offense that one big weapon. It makes this offense really, really good. I love that you said Oakland and you didn't even notice it. Uh, Las Vegas, God damn it! Sorry, <laughs> my bad. Las Vegas is what I mean. You know, I, 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 you know, I understand why you're why you're bullish on the Raiders, and they certainly improved. Right? There's there's no doubt there. Uh, that this improves that team. But I I have questions about the rest of the offensive line, their ability to run the ball, and that defense, as you mentioned, especially the secondary, which is still a question that they really haven't addressed. And so, uh, you know, I don't think it makes them better than the Chargers with the expected growth of Justin Herbert and the additions that the Chargers have made, which have been significant. And I think they're probably parallel or equal to what the Broncos are right now with Russell Wilson uh, and the additions that they have made. So I, you know, I'm curious to see, I I certainly think that all four will be in the playoff hunt. I love that you're penciling them all in as playoff teams. Now die on the Hill, Mitch. You'll love to see it. I I respect it. I will die on the Hill. I will die on the Hill. Uh, Mitch, the other move that you alluded to that the Raiders made, the other big move is bringing in pass rusher, Chandler Jones, the former Arizona Cardinal, comes to Vegas on a three-year, $51 million deal. Uh, it's really a two-year, $34 million deal. Still that 
uh, mil average per year, which is fair for a pass rusher of his caliber. But but 32 years old and you're only locked in for those two years of Chandler Jones. I think that's a very good contract and a good value for the Raiders, who, again, you know, uh, on the heels of this Devonte Adams move, you're certainly pushing chips in, right? You're you're doing this to compete now with Derek Carr, with this core, Max Crosby, Darren Waller. You know what this this we're we're doing it with this group. Uh, in that Chandler Jones move, I think sort of aligns with that. I liked this move for the Raiders. I loved it. They're still missing second level though. I yes. mean, it's, it, they they still are missing the linebacker position. Um. I would love for them to make a move somewhere in free agency to add at least a competent addition, you know, to, to at least bring that to a a little bit higher level. Um, But this is very clear with these two moves, the Raiders are trying to win now. It's very clear. And I have, have been a, I have stand with Derek Carr for a long time and I will continue to stand Derek Carr that this is a winning quarterback if he's given the right situation. And I think that he is headed in that right direction. The Raiders just need to make one more move defensively. And that's on the second level. And they, well, two, they need to add, they need to add someone in the secondary as well. They're two moves away, two moves away. Raiders will be there. All right, Uh, Mitch, let's go to the Los Angeles Rams who are involved in a number of, of moves and uh, I want to start we're going to start the wide receiver uh, as they've sort of swapped some wide receivers first off they signed Allen Robinson the veteran uh, wide receiver one of the sort of most highly touted wide receiver free agent wide receivers as that wide free agent class didn't really become quite what we expected Mike Williams Chris Godwin those guys right returned to their teams didn't become free agents Uh, so you know uh, Allen Robinson was kind of like the best wide receiver available, arguably. And he goes to the defending champion Rams on a three-year, $46 million deal. Uh, guaranteed money, it's two years, $30 million that they're locked into Allen Robinson, who's only 28. So I think this is uh, a great move and a great compliment to Cooper Cup. The Rams have repeatedly said that they are interested in bringing back OBJ. It's just a matter of what that number looks like, especially considering that he won't play obviously this full season and, and will be very limited in the coming season. Uh, but the Rams make a move for Allen Robinson. And with that move, send Bobby trees, AKA Robert Woods over to Tennessee, who was in desperate need of wide receiver as they released Julio Jones. They trade a sixth round pick for Robert Woods, who was banged up this year and will be coming off of the injury. Um, I, I, I like this series of moves for the Rams. I know Cooper Cup is going to, and those guys on the Rams are obviously, I'm sure, very uh, sad about uh, Robert Woods leaving as he was a huge, uh, you know, huge guy on that team and, and, and somebody that everybody really enjoyed. So that will hurt the locker room, uh, certainly. But Allen Robinson's a great player, I think can do, uh, you know, can contribute in an equal way to what Robert Woods was doing. And then if you're adding OBJ to that mix, Van Jefferson, uh, you, you know, they, they still have a lot of pass catchers there. So I like these moves. What did you think about these series of moves? Well, sad about one of them. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you had to know he wasn't coming back though. Right? No, no, I, I didn't think he was coming back last year until we franchised tagged him. So right. I, I, you know, I, I didn't think Allen was coming back then. Um, but you know, he goes to a good team going to the Rams. Um, and you know what? 
for the Rams, it's an upgrade at the position. When you look at age, uh, comparable ability with, with Allen Robinson and Robert Woods, um, the comparable ability and you get a little bit more age or a little bit less age. Should I say out of Allen Robinson, you get more years out of them. Um, this seems like a, like a slight upgrade, a, a youth upgrade for this Rams team that uh, seemed to be chock full of guys that were in the peak of their prime or headed down the, the backside of their prime, even on this last Super Bowl run. So a good ad for the Rams uh, for Robert Woods. Um, I, th- I think a good place for him to end up his career. He's going to have a, a semi-competent quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, a guy that can get him the ball. And, you know, he may be a, a 60, 70 reception guy uh, there in Tennessee, but, you know, I, I wouldn't expect anything special out of him, but yeah, a good contributor to, to Tennessee's offense moving forward. Yeah. And I think he'll be a good compliment to AJ Brown, right? Is that offense really revolves around Derrick Henry, It'll be a good number two and Ryan Tannehill. Right. And they certainly needed something. Uh, They traded for Julio Jones last year and that did not work out. Uh, They've now cut him. And so uh, Tennessee should continue to add a wide receiver, especially getting younger. Uh, But I do think Robert Woods smart place for them to go, especially only for that sixth round pick. uh, And then what they'd have to pay him. Uh, Mitch, the other Los Angeles Ram that's on the move uh, Von Miller, who was traded for, uh, from Denver to LA for the Super Bowl run helps the Rams uh, win a Super Bowl. Uh, said he was interested in returning to LA, but uh, he got the bag from Buffalo, and so Von Miller heads uh, to the great state of New York, to upstate New York, to Buffalo to play for the Bills. And uh, these numbers are huge, and this is something to remember with NFL contract numbers because the reported number is a six-year, one hundred twenty million dollar deal, which is. 20 million a year for a guy who is 33 years old. So you're thinking, okay, he's going to be 39 and they're going to be paying him $20 million. Like that's absurd. And you're right. It is absurd because that's not really his contract number. The real number for this contract is three years, $52 million, which is about uh, 17, uh, yeah, about 17 a year. It's right in the range of what Arizona is playing or sorry, what the Raiders are playing. Chandler Jones, right? Who is also 32 years old. Uh, you know, I think pretty similar pass rushers at this point and about 17 million a year. So I think when you look at that number, the real number for this contract, great deal for Buffalo, right? I mean, when you, when this kind of guy becomes available and you're trying to push all the chips in and win now, you got to make moves like this if you're the Bills. And I love them making this move. They're not committed too long to Von Miller. I think he'll be very effective over the next couple of years, especially on a defensive line where they've added a lot of talent, right? In the last couple of years of the draft, they've spent basically every first or second round pick on the defensive line. So you've got a ton of young guys uh, with a lot of, you know, ability still to be sort of tapped into a couple veteran pieces along the defensive line. And then you're throwing in a Von Miller to that, who just won a super bowl. He's won two super bowls, brings that experience that drive come playoff time. Great combination. Love the move and love the fit. Yeah. I mean, you get the best of the last few years of Von Miller and you mentioned like adding, you know, adding through the draft, you basically get the best of AJ Epinesa, uh, Ed Oliver. Like you get you Gregory Russo, Gregory Russo. Like you add a veteran presence to those guys that you've added through the draft. Like that's, that's fantastic. 
And you know what? They they structured it perfectly because you're going to get age 32, 33, 34 out of him. And then you have the you have the ability to cut him with minimal penalty going into the back half of his 30s. Like I I I think this was really smartly played by by Buffalo. And you know what? Honestly, smartly played by Von Miller because he gets his money, but he also gets to go to a winning situation. You know, we, we talked about the Denver to, to the Rams thing. Um, a, a winning situation that he's going to be a part of. He got his ring. Now he gets to go wind up his career in another winning situation. A, a Bills team that should probably be a top three odds on win to win a Super Bowl. Um, and, and you get to be a part of that defense. That it, it just seems like a match made in heaven for an aging guy that should be a future Hall of Famer. So I love the move, not only for the Bills, but also for Von Miller. Seems like a good situation for him. Yeah, and I and I wonder if the Rams could even afford to pay him $17 million a year. And my guess is that even if they I could probably reach not. that even if they could reach that number, it probably wouldn't be for three years, maybe two. And so when you're talking about a 17 million guaranteed difference, right? It's kind of a no brainer there. And again, a great situation for him uh, in Buffalo. Mitch, another pass rusher on the move. Zadarius Smith, the former Packer was set to join the Baltimore Ravens, which I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And then that deal fell through because of physical. I think uh, is a, sort of the uh, the, the physical ment- uh, medical side of that. That deal falls through, and Zadarius Smith now ends up with the Minnesota Vikings on a three-year, forty-two million dollar deal. That just came through this morning here on on March twenty-second. Uh, but an average of fourteen uh, is the average per year there for Zadarius Smith. 30 years old, uh, really emerged from the Ravens. I thought he was very good in Green Bay, banged up this last year. uh, So the market probably not as robust on him as it would have been had he been healthy this past season. But uh, I think a good pairing there in Minnesota on the other side of Daniil Hunter. uh, They certainly needed to improve that defensive line in Minnesota. Gives them two bookends on that defense. I think that's a, a great fit. Yeah, we talked about Minnesota last week. Very in a, in a very weird situation where they're not quite rebuild, but they're not quite ready to win right now. Very strange situation for Minnesota. Um, I was really, I was actually really excited that he was going to be out of the NFC North to give my Bears quarterbacks a little bit of reprieve. But no, he winds back up in the NFC North with the Vikings. Um, you know, a, a good signing for him. You know, I, I I'm happy for him. Uh, you know, he gets his money and he also gets to go to a situation where he, it, it's almost on a prove it contract. You know, he, he gets to, to prove it a little bit before um, he goes up for his big contract here, going into his early thirties where he can maybe make a little bit of big money. So um, good move for Zadarius Smith and good move for Minnesota because they needed this, this, you know, the addition to the defense to keep them afloat at least. Yeah. The defense has certainly regressed um, from the, that few year stretch there with right with case and case Keenum uh, and Teddy Bridgewater, where they were really, you know, really contenders uh, that, that defense was sort of the catalyst there. And it, it has regressed uh, frankly a lot uh, since that point. So good to see them adding pieces there. I, I I'm right there with you, uh, Mitch Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, making another important move along the offensive line. And this is something we talked about post-Super Bowl, pre-Super Bowl, like the obvious need for Cincinnati was improve the offensive line through free agency. 
through the draft. Well, they've added yet another piece to the offensive line. They're going to bring in Leo Collins, uh, the former Dallas Cowboy, just 28 years old at tackle uh, on a reported, I think it's a three-year deal. I don't know how the numbers on that, uh, but. Uh, um, oh, it's three years, 30 mil. Three years, 30 mil. So about 10, 10 mil a year for, for Leo Collins. Uh, and, and that, you know, goes with Mitch. Uh, a number of moves again on the offensive line, right? They add Collins at right tackle. Uh, they signed a Ted Karras at center, a veteran center to three years, 18 million. Uh, that is uh, really like a one year, $7 million deal. They do have a starting center, but Karras can move to guard spots. They brought in Alex Kappa from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a four year, $35 million deal. That's, two years, 20 that they can get out of. So uh, they've made moves along the offensive line to improve the floor of the offensive line. And they still have that late first round pick to spend on another offensive lineman, a young guy for the future. I think, do you think that this was, was this what they needed to do? Should they have done more? Should they have maybe swung a little higher or do you think this was necessary improvements to revamp this offensive line for Cincinnati? Yeah, I mean, huge additions. And we talked about this on multiple episodes over the last few weeks. Um, they needed to protect Joe Burrow. This addresses that issue right there. Or Leo Collins, Alex Kappa, Ted Karras. I mean, this addresses the issue that needed to be done, um, which was protect Joe Burrow. So uh, great ads from Cincinnati. They're not flashy. They're not sexy, but they're the most necessary. So um, love, the, love the additions from the Cincinnati Bengals, especially the Lael Collins addition. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, they, they have made investments along the offensive line and there's guys like Jonah Williams and uh, Jackson Carmen, who they're going to hope to develop at the tackle spots, right. That they've spent uh, draft picks on. Uh, but as I said, I think this just raises the floor of the offensive line. And if you're the Bengals, that's what you want, right? Joe Burrow got you to a Super Bowl and got you to the footstep of winning a Super Bowl with an awful offensive line. So if you could just raise the floor to like average, you know that you have a quarterback and you have weapons around him enough to be able to be successful, right? So I don't think they needed to completely revamp and just, you know, spend all this money and make and sign all the big offensive line prospects. I think they just needed to raise the floor of what their offensive line could be. And I'm right there with you. These are the types of moves that do that. And as long as, and I'm going to put this caveat on here, as long as they spend that late first round pick on an offensive lineman, if the value's there, if a guy like Trevor Penning or Bernard Raymond or Zion Johnson or Kenyon green, like if one of those guys is available at that point, at 31, like you got to take him. But if the value's there and addressing that there, I think this is like chef's kiss, perfect game plan. You did it right. Well done, Cincinnati. Yeah, I love the Bernard Raymond fit too, by the way. Yeah. They should really. Yes. I hopefully, love that that, hopefully that falls in their lap. Yes, so. that's that's a, that's my one of my favorite late round fits there. Uh, Mitch, a couple more free agents we want to talk about before we wrap the podcast up here. Juju Smith-Schuster, the TikTok sensation. Oh, God. The place where TikTok sensations thrive. Jackson Mahomes and Juju Smith-Schuster are going to have TikTok battles on the field before the game. Juju won't even be warming up. Patrick's going to be like, who am I throwing passes to? He's over there doing doing little dances with my brother there. Uh, Juju's heading to, heading to Kansas City. 
on a one-year $10 million deal. I love this fit uh, outside of the jokes about the TikTok stuff, obviously. I really do on the field. I love this fit, right? Because he is a uh, possession-type receiver, Juju is, right? And that complements Tyree Kill, complements Travis Kelsey. It's what they'd want uh, at wide receiver alongside that. And so I, I'm a fan of this move. I think it's very smart for Juju, who takes another uh, one-year deal, uh, and a successful year in Kansas City, and you might be able to net yourself a, you know, three, uh, an Allen Robinson type deal, right? A 15 mil a year for three year type deal of some more significant money. So I, I think it's smart for Juju, and I think it's I, obviously it'll be, I think, a great fit for Kansas City. I'm not even going to say the TikTok stuff because, <laughs> like, I'm just going to offend some poor kid that's just like, just doesn't get it. And that's a fine, but on the field stuff. Yes, this makes sense. This makes sense to bring in someone opposite of Tyree kill. Um, this seems like the boost that Juju needs. Um, this is a very talented wide receiver that had an aging quarterback that um, maybe he clashed with at, at times they, they didn't agree offensively what things, you know, how things should be done um, for him to come to uh, Kansas city a fresh new start with a young quarterback, a very talented young quarterback. Um, this seems like this seems like the, a great situation for Juju. So, um, yeah, sucks for the rest of the AFC West that made so many strides, and then they bring a, in another weapon for Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> um, but you know, this is what Kansas City does over the last few years. They they kind of revive people's careers. And they and they bring in guys like Juju Smith. So uh, I love the move for the Chiefs. Yeah, and the Chiefs will, uh, they're going to lose Byron Pringle, who's had to your Bears. Demarcus Robinson reported today he's heading to the Raiders. So you're replacing Pringle and Demarcus Robinson with Juju Smith-Schuster and getting better, which the Chiefs just, again, they just do that so well. They know how to pick their <laughs> their moves, right? And uh, I think this is uh, another good one there. The team he's leaving, though, the Steelers, I do find this interesting, Mitch, the pass catchers that they are losing. They have Chase Claypool. They have Deontay Johnson, and that pairing is one of the best young pairings, the wide receivers in the league. But Juju's now gone. James Washington is headed to Dallas. And so suddenly that young, uh, deep wide receiver room is much less so, and it will be interesting to see uh, how they supplement that perhaps in the draft or in other places. And, and with the Steelers, we also wanted to mention a move that they made uh, bringing in miles Jack, the linebacker from Jacksonville, uh, the Jags cut miles Jack, who was a, I think a second round pick. I was at one point looked at a first round pick, but had some medicals in the draft that scared teams off of him. And I believe he fell to the second or maybe even third round uh, was, I think a solid player for Jacksonville that struggled staying healthy. So they cut him and chose to sign foyer Luicon to a three or $45 million contract. Well, now miles Jack has found a new team in Pittsburgh being coached up there by Brian Flores, not a bad situation. And they're paying him two years, $16 million. So would you rather have miles Jack on $8 million a year or foyer Luicon for 15? Like this seems like a no brainer to me, but I, I mean, who, what do I know? Right. Not even financially doesn't make more sense to bring in miles Jack, but miles Jack's just a better football player. <laughs> like, and not only that, he's going to get coached by one of the great defensive minds in the NFL right now. in Brian Flores, he's going to go play for one of the greatest historically defensive teams of all time in the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I just want to point out that people with the name Jack have a pretty good history 
in Pittsburgh with Jack Lambert and Jack Ham, both Hall of Famers. So to bring in <laughs> Miles Jack just seems like a match made in heaven for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I love the signing for the Steelers. I think that this just adds so much to their defense. Um, it adds a speed quality, uh, a open field tackling quality, a, 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 an exceptionally high football IQ for Miles Jack. I love the signing for him to go play for Mike Tomlin, Brian Flores, and the Steelers. I love this signing for the Steelers. Yeah, I just wonder, how did the Steelers do this, right? They, they convinced Miami to trade him Minka Fitzpatrick, right? They signed Miles Jack after he gets cut by Jacksonville. It's like, it just seems like they always pick up these moves where you're just like, man, how did they get that guy? And you just know, again, in that situation with that coaching staff, I think he's going to thrive uh, and will probably leave Pittsburgh and then sign a like $18 million deal with somebody else, right? And they're going to have gotten great value for a couple of years with a young linebacker. Oh, uh, oh, 100%. I do want uh, breaking news here. Uh, the Dolphins are finalizing a deal with left tackle Taron Armstead. Okay, five-year deal, it looks like, according to Adam Schefter. So we don't have numbers on that yet, but a great, great note there, Mitch. And glad it came as we're about to wrap up the podcast because we're in the free agency. And certainly he is sort of the biggest name out there left, right? Uh, You know, among any players, but most notably the offensive line. Uh, And this is definitely a place that Miami needed to address. Uh, This a natural fit here, 30 years old. Uh, you know, curious to see what the actual money on this deal is, you know, how long they're locked into him, but uh, the right kind of move when you're trying to invest into a tongue of Iloa, I think you would agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not just the tongue of Iloa, but any young quarterback that you anticipate having being your future, you know, you, you have to invest in the offensive line to protect them and give them that sort of confidence. So uh, Taron Armstead, absolutely fantastic ad for the Dolphins if this all works out. So um, nothing but high hopes for that addition for, uh, for Miami. Yeah, uh, great stuff. Mitch, the final note here on NFL free agency, and we'll continue to update as things happen. And again, and again as we've said, uh, it seems like it's getting even more wild as the weeks go. So who knows what next week has in store? It seems like most of uh, the moves have been had. Uh, we've addressed a, a couple uh, left there, but uh, you know, probably won't have too much, but the final one here, uh, Marcus may the former safety with the New York jets played on the franchise tag last year. Uh, will be going to the new Orleans saints. The saints lost uh, their pro bowl safety, Marcus Williams, who will go to Baltimore on a five-year $70 million deal. Uh, so then the New Orleans Saints bring in Marcus May on a three-year $22.5 million deal. That's really a two-year $15 million deal. So they bring in Marcus May, who I think is a Pro Bowl caliber uh, safety at half the price, at literally half the average per year uh, that Marcus Williams is getting uh, from Baltimore. Now, Marcus Williams is a couple years younger, right? Uh, and I, I would think better than Marcus May, but this is, a, I think, a very smart move from a team that recognizes where it's at in the cap. You know, hard to replace a player of that caliber. You can't afford to pay a safety $15 million when you have so much caught up in other places. So I think this is a great value for New Orleans and a great way to replace uh, what was one of their best defensive players. Yeah, huge, huge, uh, huge addition for them to replace one of their better 
defensive players, but also they get away from the Minneapolis miracle. Marcus Williams is gone. If you remember, that is true. And if that was bad Joe Juju in any sort of way, you've washed that away. That's a great and point. If you remember correctly, Stephon Diggs caught the ball over Marcus Williams that wound up being the Minneapolis miracle. So uh, at least you're off that and you have, you found a replacement, but back to a football sense and not so much a super uh, superstition sense. Um, Marcus May is a great defensive uh, defensive back. And it is going to be a fantastic addition to this New Orleans Saints defense. Yes, no, 100%. Not. Again, I just I wanted to note this because it's just a very smart move from a franchise that makes smart moves, right? And when you lose out on a player like that, replacing him with that level of player at that price tag, uh, very well done by New Orleans. Mitch, uh, some more details on this Toronto Armstead before we wrap up here. Tom Pelissero is reporting that it is a five-year, $75 million deal plus incentives. So that works out to about... 15 million a year for Teron Armstead, which I think is fair. He is one of the top tackles uh, in the league, or at least up there in that conversation, but right. 30 years old, right on the, the wrong side of that. And so, uh, you know, my guess is it's probably three years guaranteed in 45, $50 million range there that, that Miami sort of set in, uh, but reportedly five years, $75 million for Teron Armstead uh, from the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> Very smartly structured, by the way. Guarantee the first three, but we've seen. Well, I'm predicting that. I'm not sorry. That that was just well, my guess on the guarantee. And again, we'll see what the it, actual numbers it, there. But yeah, but if it is that way, I mean, very smartly structured because you know you get three years guaranteed. But like we've seen guys like Lane Johnson have long careers that have been very successful. Yeah, and then if you can pay I mean, those Andrew guys the last two years, Andrew right? Whitworth. If you could pay those guys unguaranteed and they earn their money and you still get the production out of them, then you're you're looking really good in this in this signing at age 30. So for sure. I like the structure yeah. of that. If if that is what the case is. Sure. So. I'm yeah, I mean in, in 30, I don't want to make it seem like 30 is very old, even for an offensive lineman. Uh, no, but it does but it's but old for is, a football player. Of course. And that is sort of the threshold where guaranteed contracts and big money contracts become a little scarier, right? When you're committing that kind of money to a 30 year old, as opposed to a guy in his mid uh, to late twenties, the prime of his uh, career. But uh, Mitch, that's going to do it for the podcast today. What a great podcast, my friend. This has been great. Is yeah, this top 14 gosh. for us? A podcast is this top 14 podcast. Top 11 for sure. Top 11. Really? I mean, wow. I mean, this was really good. I mean, I Top mean, 11. This, this is okay. a classic. This is a classic. I That's think so. Sure. You let us know if this was a classic podcast, guys. And you let us know at any of our social media channels. You can follow us on Twitter at Sports Hour Guys. Follow the Instagram at the Sports Hour Guys. Follow the TikTok at the Sports Hour Guys. Mitch is slacking on his punishment to post on the TikTok. He's only done one. He's got nine more to go. You got to get on it, buddy. All right. Send Mitch some ideas. If you see a TikTok, you want to see Mitch try it out, send it to us on the TikTok. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Little Thoint. Mitch, tell the people about Anchor. Anchor is the only way that you can get involved in the conversation here on the Sports Hour. Look, me and Download, we love talking to each other about sports every week, but we want to hear from you. So get on anchor.fm slash the sports hour, guys. Leave us a voice message. Um, give us your opinion on a, on a topic in sports, and we will play it here and discuss it on 
the sports hour. If you have an idea for me to embarrass myself on TikTok, uh, put it up on there. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's the greatest way, the best way that you get a part of the conversation. Once again, that is anchor.fm slash sports hour guys be a part of the conversation today. If you want to listen to this podcast, you can go ahead and listen to us on, uh, you can listen to us on anchor. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, you can give us a listen, go ahead on Apple podcasts, leave us a rating and review. Tell us we suck. Because Dallin, that is the only way that we can get better. That is the only way that we can get better. And we would like to, because we know that we're not good enough. So please we let stink. us we stink. Yes, let us know how we can improve. And if you haven't already, check out the website, the sportshourguys.wordpress.com. More stuff coming there. As always, if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, please do. Uh, we're very excited about that and looking forward to adding more contributors there. Uh, Mitch, that's that is that's all we got. That's all we got that's here it. today. So it. uh, it's a wrap. It is done. It is finished. We appreciate you. We love you. And we will catch you next week. Uh, see ya.